0: All right, man. I think they're in. I think our boys are in. So I'm gonna go grab a snack. Um, maybe you take over for a second. That way I can sneak out. I, we just gotta keep an eye on this because this doesn't feel good.
1: Yeah, you're totally right, man. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I, I'm good. Go. Hey. Uh, I'll keep watch. You're you gonna be okay. Yeah, you, man. I'm. I'll. Dude, go get your food. <laughs> Are you watching that fucking movie again? No, no, I'm, um, it's, yeah, it's a good one, man. Okay, it's fine, it's fine. I'll, I'll pay attention, I'll keep a lookout, I'll make sure no
0: one, no one shows up. I swear to God, if I leave this place, and I come back, and you're still sitting here, and Attack of the Puppet People is still on the screen, I'm gonna kick your ass. It's fine, listen. Go, I got this. That's that movie. Listen. I know you're
1: still watching it. Uh, listen, I'll turn it off, okay? I'll turn it
0: off. There. Uh,
1: there, I'll turn it, I'll turn it down. Just right. go get some... and we'll, Hey, we'll, we'll, will you give me some french fries?
0: Yes. Yeah, I'll grab you something, too. But just remember, eyes on the prize. Gotcha. Eyes on the prize. Gotcha. Okay. Watching. All right. I'll see you in a second. Okay. Hey! Hey, did you hear that? What? 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 Man? Oh my God! Did the sirens? Get to the window. What? Oh brr. shit! This isn't good. Oh, it's a good movie. Yeah. Between uh, his vice president and Deep Throat, and I wanted to look and see what this Dawes Act was real quick.
1: Okay. Okay. While you're looking at that, I had something that. So you know when you'll just read, like, a word, and you'll be like, what is that? You'll you'll just, like, rabbit hole yourself down. You'll click on that. That'll lead you to one thing, lead you to another and yeah. You'll find out how something came to kind of being. Do you think, like, I was thinking about this from, like, a funny perspective, but how do you think laws were drafted? Do you think it was a chicken before the egg type thing? Or do you think that something had to happen to set precedence for them to go ahead and set
0: a law... Yeah, everything had to be precedence driven because it, when you look back at like all the goofy shit that they did like in Idaho, you can only like ride your horse at a certain speed on a certain time. Like there's always so someone was
1: riding horses faster. Okay, it's weird you say that because my position on the whole thing was so someone had to fuck an animal or fuck a horse. Oh yeah. Yeah. Get caught doing it and then they were like, "Okay, we can't have you, you know, we got to make a laws to prevent someone from fucking a horse." Okay. Do you think that after that happened, do you think the law went straight to, okay, no fucking animals? Or do you think it was like, you can't fuck a horse? And <laughs> two guys are in a meeting trying to figure this out. And it's basically one guy being like, "We'll just make a law saying you can't fuck horses. The other guy's like, I think we should just say you can't fuck animals. He's like, dude, he's like, we shouldn't have to say that. Yeah, We should just have this. We There was a guy fucking a horse. We should only have to go and make the law. And he's like, I'm telling you, I think we should really just... Do it for all animals. He's like, no, it's fine. And then, you know, years later, someone's like, okay, someone got caught fucking a dog. And they're like, maybe we do it just for all animals now. So someone had to get caught fucking their cousin or something like that
0: for that not to be. Well, and just thinking about it, too, like, at a certain point, when you go through and, like, look at the law books and it's like, sodomy is illegal, Mm -hmm. oral is illegal in some states. And... I wonder if it was just a policeman that, like, caught two dudes blowing each other. And he's like, well, that's abhorrent. That's terrible. I can't believe that. We're going to make that illegal. And then he takes it to the house, and he's like, hey, dude, we got to make a law about this. He's like, why? I love when my wife does that. He's like, your wife does that to you? Yeah. Like, blowjobs and stuff like that, I feel like if it was more of a heterosexual thing that happened first then it probably wouldn't have been made illegal. Well, the other thing, too, is then you have to kind of factor in, there's always been what
1: they actually say is the separation of church and state, but how many of these laws do you think did have, like, heavily, like, backed religious, like, push behind them? Because if you really think about it, like, the sodomy thing, why would... Because there are some certain states where there's, I mean, they're, oh, it's yeah. not enforced, but if you look back through their code,
0: sodomy, you know is still technically illegal so what you know some guy we, got pink socked one time and was like we can't do this anymore cause what does it say I know that like Sodom
1: so and so he's the guy that ruined everyone's good time he's like I, if I can't do it anymore <laughs> no yeah, one can do it anymore that's
0: exactly that's it what it was doesn't ever say underneath it like no smoking and don't touch kids why because we already know that that shouldn't be happening true yes (laughs) (laughs) so why are we talking about laws adam oh boy i'm not not quite sure honestly
1: i think it's because what we're going to talk about today broke so many of them oh yeah and there has got to be I'm sure what came out of this is there has got to be, to some degree, laws that were made to prevent something like this from happening again.
0: I don't think there was, because there's so much of it that you see. I mean, Nixon was kind of the first guy to be like, hey, they're asking for something, what do we do? Well, everybody else, if you get a warrant out or something like that, you have to do it. Or if you get subpoenaed for something, mm-hmm. you have to do it. Yeah. Nixon was the first guy to be like, what are they going to do if we don't? And you even see that today where they'll be asking for something and they'll just look at them and be like, well, we're just not going to give it. It sounds made up when they use terms like, and so we're clear
1: and everyone's up to speed. So we're actually covering Watergate today. We would have got to that. They'd have
0: figured it out. I know,
1: I know. Um, But it feels like, yeah, when you do hear these things, and this is going to be covered a little bit more in depth later on, but when you hear things like executive privilege... It just fucking sounds made up. It sounds like I'm just, because I'm in this position, I'm just going to make something up because of my position. I I don't think I should have to do this because I'm the president.
0: And you were voted in by the people. What privilege do you have to keep things private? I I understand, like... you're in public office. Yeah, the interest of security and all that kind of stuff, that's fine. But... Just the amount of things that they try to claim it on. Like, oh, well, we had this conversation. That's what it is. I'm sure sure it was a bunch of
1: bullshit about like, hey, you know, within these conversations that you guys are requesting, these tapes, there's sensitive materials for, you know, the security of the nation or whatnot. Which, who knows, there might have been, but you're giving it to a committee that works for the government. They should probably be able to be privy to some of that stuff anyway.
0: Did you, um, this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but... Just along those lines, I think this is just kind of amazing. The recordings that we'll get to with Nixon—did I listen to them? No, some of them, yes. But the whole idea of like presidents recording things that happened in the Oval Office, like this happened way before Nixon. Oh yeah, so Nixon was the first
1: one though, because it was so the reason that they were able to subpoena it was wasn't weren't previous presidents they always as technology had allowed. Had the, had the ability to go ahead and record conversations that happened yeah. within the Oval Office. It but makes sense to keep
0: track of you yeah. having generals in there to go back and listen to your listen, notes. Listen, take notes, all that. But Nixon, this is the amazing thing, is everybody up till then had been able to press a button to, to start a, the recording. You, had to,
1: you selected when you wanted it to record. Yeah,
0: But Nixon was such a bumbling, stumbling drunk that they couldn't trust him in the Oval Office to press a record button. ...to start the conversation so that they had it. So his aides actually rigged it up, and it was like the first time that they had ever used... There was a point when there were people that walked into the office that Mm -hmm. they said, Okay, this is when we can start recording. When it picked up a sound or something like that. and then it actually started recording when it started hearing his voice. Gotcha. So he was such... We had a president that was such a drunk, which obviously we've had a lot of presidents that are drunks, but he was so drunk that they couldn't rely on him to press a button to start the recording. That's bad.
1: So, um, because we're going to focus primarily on Watergate, we'll just run down uh, pretty much a, a brief biography on Richard Nixon. So, he's a fairly interesting guy. He is actually. Like, I was actually surprised to read some of this stuff. That that's again, that's my been my favorite part about this so far is being able to just find out that I have literally just a very like b- cursory knowledge. Yeah on this stuff, and then you get into it, so... Well, um,
0: I can't tell if he was that interesting or if he just faked it until he made it, because there's a lot of things that he did that he touts as achievements, that when he talks about, like, certain different things, mm. he definitely does not like them.
1: Yeah. So, uh, he was born in uh, January 1913. Um, on the Repu- He was a Republican. So, I thought just... I thought he was actually, like, a senator from New York. Just his, like, demeanor, and you see him in speeches, he kind of seemed to me like he was, like, more of a New Yorker type guy.
0: Well, and we'll see later on with his homes and stuff. He was a California kid. Yeah, exactly. So he was
1: first a representative and then a senator from California, which I actually never thought of this either, really, and gave gave it much thought. So it does make sense that, like, because there's so many more representatives from states that you would try to work yourself from a representative to a senator yeah? Just because you with there being... I think we talked about this in one of the previous ones. How many representatives were there? It was 200-plus, right? It was a shitload, but yeah. back
0: then there were less because the population was Correct, less.
1: but even then... So you're one person out of, let's just say, 200-plus people. Whereas in the Senate, your vote counts that much more because you're one out of a... Is it two senators and
0: two... Yeah, two senators from each Two state. senators and then... Representatives, um, so a hundred senators. So you're one out of a hundred. Your vote goes
1: a lot farther, and oh, your yeah. opinion goes so much further in the Senate. So it would make sense. He started in, as a representative, then became a senator. Um, the, let's see. He was a graduate of Duke Law, and during World War II, he was active duty Naval Reserve. So Looks I like think
0: there were two hundred and sixty three seats in the House of Representatives when he became a House member. Today there's four hundred and thirty five. Yeah, so it makes so much
1: more sense to to wanna to work your way into the Senate. So he um ended up being I didn't know he was Eisenhower's vice president for eight years.
0: Yeah, well and the weird thing about it was was he was a Quaker. Like yes that that was his religion. He's one mm-hmm. of two presidents to ever be a Quaker. And he actually um got out of going to war the first time because of a religious exemption for being a Quaker because they don't believe in war or violence, different things mm-hmm. like that and he actually enlisted himself after that um and went overseas and he would watch the other like privates play poker, mm-hmm. and when he would watch it, he developed himself a system. He won so much money overseas playing poker that he came back and used some of that money to launch his first campaign. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Yeah, so he was a good card player. Figured that out pretty well. Graduated from Duke Law School in 1937, so very smart. He's one of two terrible people that I can think of offhand that comes from Duke, him and Coach K. Mm -hmm. And then he starts in the house, 1947. He's in the house from 1947 to 50, and then decides that that's not enough. Moves up, runs for a senator in California. He's a senator from fifty to fifty-three, and then he links up with Eisenhower. And Eisenhower was a stud, a military man. He was a general. Oh yeah, he
1: won. He he won the presidency specifically off of his publicity and what he did during World War II. There's no. Yeah, I have no no doubt about that. It kind of makes you wonder, though, like, when was the last time, and that might have been it, when was the last time that you had someone that was, like, full-on military then transition right into the presidency? There's been a few, but
0: I can't think of anybody really since.
1: It made a lot more sense when we were actually doing, like, when there was a lot of war, you know, wars happening, especially if you're thinking about, like... It was probably much more common before Eisenhower, because wasn't, uh, like, Richard, wasn't Grant, like, in the...
0: Yeah, there he was been a He couple. was in the
1: army. I want to say there were a few presidents that are famous for both being president and also serving Washington. George Washington was the, like, leader of the Continental Army.
0: He was an easy one that we didn't well, think well, yeah, of. Yeah,
1: but, I mean, that that's what I'm saying, is it almost seemed like that's how you were well enough known to be elected president, is you were... Famous for something Yeah, being...
0: we, we nailed the three. Washington, Eisenhower, and Grant were all three. Okay. Look at you, oh. just fucking showing off, yeah, just flexing that brain I did on. not even have that written down, that was a guess. One of the tough things for Nixon was they wanted him to be Eisenhower's um, vice president because he was anti-communist, he would sat on a few boards and done a few things and was a part of a few different... Um, like house investigative committees and all that stuff. But they actually had a problem with him because there were rumors and rumblings already about him that he was using money from his campaign to pay for different things, um, just like different living expenses and all that. And that's a big no-no. Was that the checker's speech about yes. he came out and he said, he said I, I bought a dog with it, yep. and everyone was like,
1: aw, <laughs> and like it just went away.
0: Yeah. So, you could fool somebody. I mean, I don't remember what Checkers was. He was probably a cool dog. A, I, like he a was Cocker a, Spaniel. I want to say he was a Spaniel. Honestly, yeah, so, yeah. kind of cool, but to hold up your dog be like, I didn't steal any money. And even if I did, look at what I did with it. Just holding the dog to the camera and be like, don't send me back <laughs> to the pound. <laughs> if you don't let me be vice president, I'm just going to kill the
1: dog. Is this no. what you want? Well, the crazy thing, too, is... So, he's VP for eight years. So, people obviously liked Eisenhower. And then he goes to run for president in, what, like, 60? And that was when JFK ran. Get molly and Yes. So, like, that's that's crazy to me in itself. Like, you have someone who is already in that office as the VP and already that associated with that administration. Yeah. And then the new guy comes in and is just like... Get your ass out of
0: here. <laughs> well, and this will be another just beautiful topic to go into later on down the road, is that presidential election and Joe Kennedy. And Joe Kennedy's ties to the mob. And oh, yeah. And the way that he won Illinois by only a certain handful mm-hmm. of votes, the mob was using houses allegedly in names of dead people to vote for Kennedy, mm-hmm. along with the first televised debate. Did You read anything on no, that? No, was, was that the first televised? That one? was the first televised debate, and Nixon was just coming off of a sickness, and Kennedy, obviously a handsome man for the time. Oh yeah, I don't think that he's that handsome, but I've seen handsomer. But he looked good, and he actually was like changing his clothes to the backdrop to appeal more or to look more appealing, and Nixon was just. Completely pale face. Did like always shit. wear?
1: I always, for some reason, envisioned him in like a gray suit. Yeah,
0: and that's what it was. was he wore that? a gray suit yeah, that looked okay. terrible against the backdrop. Yeah, he looked like an absolute gargoyle. Mm-hmm. And he just was sweating his balls just off. Just sexy ass John F. Kennedy yeah. up there being like, "What's up, ladies?" And he's
1: up there being like, Oh, oh hello, everyone."
0: Yeah, it's like Momoa against Gollum. Yeah, just there was no chance. And they actually did a poll and said that. A majority of people would have thought that Nixon had won that debate had they not seen it. Like, had they just listened to it on the radio, mm-hmm. they would have believed Nixon more because he had the the credentials of being a vice president going through it, but people couldn't quit looking just how ugly he looked Yeah, how bad he looked. Like, I don't... You're just like, mmm. Yeah. I bet he's smart. I don't like him. I don't like the way he looks. Yeah. When somebody smiles and it's creepy, that's yeah. probably a reason why you're thinking maybe we don't vote for this guy. So then he
1: decides after he loses in sixty to JFK, then he goes back and he tries to run for governor of California in sixty two. And he loses
0: it. Well.
1: So you just like again. you two years before that, you lost on the presidency. I'm didn't really look into what he did in the meantime. Sixty two, you lose the race for the governor of your own state that you'd like been the representative for yeah. and senator for.
0: Um, and you were a vice president i know he, you held the second highest office in the land and, you and couldn't you're come and back and and be governor yeah
1: your the people in your state might know something or like have a feeling about you and just like yeah we don't know we don't want you back here doing stuff <laughs> <laughs> so do you have anything for what he did between 62 and
0: 68 there's not a whole lot that i saw he was i think he kind of tried his hand at being on screen a little bit more. And I don't know if he followed the, the Ronald Reagan. Go into movies and do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But he held around for a little bit. And he, he kind of almost swore off politics. After losing the presidential election. And then decided that, that it a was Yeah. Probably shame. Yeah, but probably mm-hmm. shame. yeah. It, I don't know if he felt shame. But it, it was probably there. It, he gets fired back up gets the base underneath him and I believe after he loses the governor's race he comes on and says hey this is the last time you're going to be able to get to pick on me I'm done this is it I'm not running for president it's just not going to happen and then somehow he gets a fire lit under his ass and thinks that he can can actually win it and comes back throws his hat back in the ring he beat um Mitt Romney's dad. Okay. For the Republican ticket for president. I didn't realize that Romney had, like, a family of politicians. That that actually makes sense
1: because, like, whenever... This is going to sound stupid, but, like, there was an episode of uh, this show called New Girl where the Schmidt guy, he oh, pretends Zoe to be a Romney. Huh? Yeah. Deschan- she's a so one. he pretends to be a Romney. And apparently, like, the Romney family... Is like super well known throughout like the Republican Party just because yeah. they've been in it for so long. So they're like, when you think of like those old like political families, that there's like a dynasty, they're almost like a political dynasty. A I think. The Romney dynasty. So anyway, so he ends up beating him. Who does he? I have it was a close contest for the president election. presidential election in '68. Who did he beat? Because I can never remember the guy's name.
0: He was somebody that we had heard of.
1: Yeah, and it was it was like a really close race. I'm just wondering like what he was doing because obviously you have to be kind of ramping up for presidential presidential election at least two years prior to that. So, yeah, there isn't a lot of information on what he did between like '62 and I guess would be '65 '66. Probably just planning to run again.
0: He beat out the Democratic incumbent vice president. Double H, Hubert Humphrey. Oh, really? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Won the popular vote by less than one point, but took more states outside the Northeast and comfortably won the electoral vote, which I'm sure coming that close makes his second one against McGovern that much more important because he saw how close he would come. And Mm -hmm. after being where he was and losing last time, he knew that there had to be... He had to do some shit. Okay.
1: So... He ends up winning, and that's going to kind of be the end of his, like, biography-type thing as far as I have it written down. The one thing I wanted to go through, because Watergate's going to go ahead and occur, and then that's what we're going to stick to, that specific part.
0: Just, we're going to shit on him a lot. Oh, yeah. So run through a couple of his accomplishments, which I I think are kind of cool. He's one of two people to ever appear on a presidential ticket five times. Mm Mm-hmm. Him and FDR. Are that's the actually only two. I,
1: That one's sad to me.
0: <laughs> like, because he only
1: won, I mean, he won because of Eisenhower two of those times. Yeah. And won one time. So, like, he's one for five, technically. Because I won. Yeah. I'm going to give his two other ones to Eisenhower.
0: He he rubbed coattails yes. on his first two. But I, the fact that you were that, you tried that hard. I mean, five times sounds good, except for you would have had to lose one to be on there five times. Exactly. That's true. But he takes office. He signs Title IX, which in sports terms, if you're a sports person, you know a little bit more because Title IX was something that said if you give money to the male athletes, then you have to give the same money and the same airtime to the female athletes. It leveled the playing field in college sports as far as how they would go about funding different programs and just basically break breaking down all the gender bias that there was in college sports at that time.
1: That's the thing man, with his accomplishments, if you were to just go ahead and write his accomplishments and didn't assign them to a president, any president would look at that and they'd be like, "Fuck, like if I can be known for like that stuff, that's that's a win." Yeah. Like that's kind of what makes this whole thing it's not tragic cuz it's all self-inflicted, but it's just so crazy is that like had he just not fucked up, he could have gotten out of there and been referred to as like what I feel, they could have gone in and swept some of the fuck-ups under the rug and just done those accomplishments but yeah so he got to oversee into combat in vietnam which and he got to end the military draft so now you're known as the president that was like we're getting out of vietnam and i'm ending the draft that's a huge one
0: he established the epa the environmental protection agency which also seems like kind of a good score like it took us this long to figure out what the epa was and why we needed it he enforced desegregation of southern schools well, and he got voluntary desegregation from seven of them. So that's that's pretty good. Desegregation had already started, mm-hmm. but under his watch he, he started. Enfor- he
1: enforced it. He was either yeah. like, you're going to do it or we're going to go ahead and take steps to make sure it's done.
0: And it's tough to say because I think Jim Crow was still around. So there were certain elements that were still going mm-hmm. on that weren't great. But desegregation in schools... You can argue it was a good and a bad thing because it seemed like it did happen. It needed to happen, but mm. it happened so early that there were still so many issues that they ran into.
1: He got to be president when Apollo 11 landed on the moon and we won the space race. Yeah. So he, he gets that accomplishment because people are going to be like, Oh, it just—it happened a year after he was in office. People probably don't realize how long that whole thing's been in motion to do that. Yeah. And within a year, he's like, we got a man on the moon.
0: Well, and Kennedy obviously didn't get to uh, see that happen. Yeah, so I know. He, he lost out on that one. Um, and then the other thing I have, one of them
1: was he visited China, which apparently was a huge deal at that point in 72, which they say eventually led to like diplomatic relations and then he did an anti-ballistic missile treaty with the Soviet Union which I didn't look too far into it it sounds good so i'm going to give it a no, give it a win on that
0: yeah and he's he did a couple other things just at home he created the office of minority enterprises so to help people of color mm-hmm. and women different sorts of things to be able to own businesses and cleared the way for them to get funding get their their loans and everything right. and and like like you said earlier Seventy-three, he signs a Paris Peace Agreement, which pulls, I think, most of, if not all, of the American troops out of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So he kind of ends that. It's still a little shaky because after he did that, they also bombed, I believe, Cambodia. It, yeah, Cambodia and Laos, mm-hmm. yep. because they were saying that that was where the flow of communists were coming in to help. Well, that's a th- that's an entirely another thing because he didn't even he did
1: that without um, approval from Congress. He launched those operations without approval from Congress.
0: Him and Henry Kissinger were in on that together. Kissinger would be another interesting one that we'll do, too.
1: So, again, that just kind of helps establish, like, what kind of character he is despite the accomplishments. Because, again, the accomplishments of an administration, especially when a lot of the accomplishments are having that quickly into the administration yeah. the groundwork was laid by the previous one regardless if you agree with the previous one or not there is groundwork laid that they try to go and take into the next one
0: well and it's a brilliant strategy if it's already there and the legwork's done oh yeah. I'll throw your use name the, on it. i'll take, go ahead and use your infrastructure
1: credit. and just do what i want to do with yeah. it so now what is the list of fuck ups i call it the <sighs> fuck you list because that's what it seems like a lot of the things he signed in were meant to do
0: at the top of the list, like we talked about with the recordings, he was just a raging alcoholic and addicted to sleeping pills because he was trying to cure his uh, insomnia with it. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he was so zooted out that he told Henry Kissinger that they needed to nuke Vietnam. <laughs> it luckily Kissinger yep. waited until maybe he sobered up to be like, "Hey, we don't want to do this. It's yeah. a bad idea." He uh- was so out of it during the yom kippur war um that the nuclear alert was raised to one below imminent danger and he was so out of it that they couldn't rouse him and get him out of bed and wake him up for long enough to do any kind of negotiation so kissinger took that over too and helped soothe those tensions and he just woke up and like nothing happened it just that far gone you wanted the Secret Service to wear uniforms. Oh, I read that too. And they, did you did you see or hear what they looked like? <laughs> yes. the, the actual ones. They were like white tunics that had like two
1: front they, pockets in them. The comparison that they linked it to, the one that I actually was able to envision in my head, they're like it looks like almost kind of what the like Emperor's Guard looks like from Star Wars, yeah. except like white and without helmets. But there was like like these weird pillbox hats. hats that they yes. had. Yes. And so this, that thing got shit on so hard that they ended up donating it to the, yeah, to yeah, was they, it a marching band. They donated it to a college marching band in can, Iowa. Can you imagine that? They're like, hey, where'd we get these <laughs> uniforms? They're like, um, you're not going to believe this, but <laughs> these come straight from the president.
0: What do your guys' uniforms have gun holsters on them. Eh, don't worry <laughs> about yeah, it. Yeah, don't worry. Not it's big deal. The, trumpet holsters. <laughs> Those are woodwind holsters. He almost set Charlie Manson free. Mm-hmm. During his uh, trial, Nixon said, and I don't know if it was an interview or what, but he said that... He suggested his guilt. Yeah. He suggested Which the status of his guilt. Do. No. Especially as the president,
1: because it'll set... It. I'm trying to think what the term it's would It's just,
0: it biases Correct. The, the, the jury it biases and everybody else. else. But as a guy who graduated law school, law school as a lawyer, what? how do you not know that? How is that something that you do? So I got walked back real quick. Going back
1: to what we had I what I say episode what was the Oh yeah, the William Randolph first episode. Yeah. Nixon was the one that went ahead and started the Controlled Substance Act. Yep. Okay. So he started technically started the war on
0: drugs. And as a great story, he actually smuggled drugs inadvertently. Did you read the story like about he created loop?
1: an operation to do it, or him on his person himself?
0: He, just a dumbass, just an absolute idiot. So, Louis Armstrong, the famous trump trumpeter, trumpet trump player, player, yeah, jazz musician, mm-hmm. he was considered a an ambassador for the United States, okay, and would fly everywhere around the world and do these like goodwill tours mm-hmm. and do these big shows. They were coming back from a tour one time, and one of the deals that they had was they didn't have to go through customs when they would come back from overseas. Okay. And Louis Armstrong and his boys roll up. They say, hey, where do we need to go? We're ambassadors. And security goes, you got to go through the customs line. And Louis Armstrong's like, ugh. Going into a country or coming
1: back into Coming back into the United States. Okay.
0: And Louis Armstrong's like, we don't do that. And the guy's like, yeah, tough shit. Can,
1: can you do it in Louis Armstrong's voice?
0: <sighs> I wish I could. I, I can't go that low. No, not good. And yeah. I think to myself, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so they're standing in the customs line. Nixon is there to greet them, to bring them back into the country. Nixon walks over to the customs line and says, hey, Louis, big fan. Glad to see you're back. Thank you for everything that you did overseas. Can I get a picture with you? Louis like, yeah, sure, we'll do the picture. They do the photo op. And then he goes, why are you guys standing in line? Louis goes, they said we have to go through customs. He goes, no, 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 no. You, you come with me, follow me, go ahead, we'll just bypass oh, customs. Of course not, Mr. Armstrong. Yeah. <laughs> right this way, Mr. Armstrong. <laughs> Everything will be okay. So he goes, can I help you with anything? Louis points to one of his suitcases. He goes, yeah, if you want to grab that, let's go ahead and go through. Uh, they bypass customs, and of course, the there's side. probably like reporters being like, "That's Nixon with Louis Armstrong and the
1: ambassador, yeah. like helping him with his luggage and everything." Yeah, yeah the common man. Of course, yeah.
0: Later on, Louis Armstrong says in an interview that the suitcase that Nixon carried past customs had three pounds of marijuana in it. That they got back from overseas, <laughs> so we had a president that. I guess you could say he's technically on record as I'm smuggling three I'm not going to lie to you. That probably is like small potatoes from what presidents oh, yeah. have done. Well, it, it's kind of cool. He's got a little bit... It was cool at the time. He had a little bit of dirt mm-hmm. we had a drug smuggling president. That's kind of sweet. All
1: right. So, this all ends up changing. It seems like things are going pretty good. Like, just from a glance yeah. up to this point, it seems like it's going pretty good. So, it's going good. he has, within his political sphere and everything like that. And at this same time, didn't the Republicans control all three branches?
0: I believe so.
1: I want to say I heard that, or was it in his second term?
0: I think it was his second term. Because all
1: this goes down in his second term.
0: Yeah, and there were still some holdovers from LBJ before that. Okay. Okay.
1: So he has, within his close political sphere... Um, G. Gordon Liddy, who is the finance counsel for it's we're gonna call it I'm gonna call it creep, because that's what I sort of called it's the committee to reelect the yeah, it's the committee to re elect the president. So obviously it's, they it's didn't fitting. think of this ahead of
0: time, but man does it
1: fit. So at this point, because these characters are in these committees, this is seventy two, which means is it two years away from the next election? 74 would be the correct. Um, okay. So all this happens about 2 years prior to his next election. So he already has these people set up to start working on his re-election campaign. Yeah. Um Jeb Magruder, who is the creep chairman, John Mitchell, who is the at that point the acting attorney general. Yep. And then John Dean who is president's counsel. So pretty much guy in his pocket that he his idea man and the one yeah. that
0: he bounces things off yes. of.
1: So, at one point during this uh, time frame in 72, Liddy comes to the other three and has this intelligence plan to spy on the Democratic Party. So, presents the plan to the other three. Uh, Mitchell, being the Attorney General, should have been like, fuck no, this is illegal. Was it
0: Project Gemstone? I can't, I that was, the I believe, I think that was the first one that he brought. The ideas that they brought to the table were some of the craziest. This shit one got there. declined, so this is probably gemstone. Yeah. Okay. And the other ones that he was suggesting at the time were they hire prostitutes to yeah. sleep with the Democrats mm-hmm. and try to get pillow talk from them, just a million different things that they tried to do to gain well, any sort of intel. The other
1: thing that's crazy about that is so this isn't just like an isolated, hey, I just came up with this idea. Why don't we spy on the Democrats? There's apparently a think tank of people whose job it is to
0: come up with ideas on how to fuck up the other political party Yeah, and weaken them. And this is, beforehand, this wasn't their first foray into doing some bad shit. No. They had their first break-in. You've heard of the Pentagon Papers? Not, like, in detail. It was basically, like, a, a leak that had happened... Where it was a government report of kind of everybody that had done everything in mm-hmm. Vietnam and all the bad things that had happened. Okay. And so it shined a light on LBJ's okay. handling and on everybody that had handled it up to before Nixon got in office okay. and all the bad stuff.
1: Oh, so where you get all of the benefit from stuff that happens where the groundwork is laid before your presidency, but it happens during yours? This is where it bites you in the ass, because regardless if he he was responsible for any of that, he's in office right now, so he technically is responsible for all of that.
0: That, and he was paranoid that since he saw what everybody else had done, Mm -hmm. that they were going to start looking into what he had done. Because he had probably done some stuff as VP under Eisenhower as well. Yeah, and just his handling from kind of the beginnings of when he took over in Vietnam, Mm -hmm. where you're talking about different things. So they find out that a guy named Daniel Ellsberg was the one. He comes out. He admits that he was the one that published the Pentagon Papers. He was the one that shined the light on it. Nixon was so freaked out, and I want to say that it was Hunt, Liddy, and a few other people that called themselves the Plumbers because mm-hmm. they were going to plug the holes, plug the That's leaks. Right. Yeah, which, I heard about that. Another catchy name. So. They break into Ellsberg's psychiatric office to go into his shrink's office and try to look into, and this happens, I think it was September 3rd, oh, I forgot what year it was. But they break into Ellsberg's, psych- or Jesus, his shrink's office and look through his paperwork to see if there's anything that they can use against him, oh. like, to try to... Any yeah, dirt on him. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, to try to get him to say, hey, if you see anything bad about us, don't publish it. Yeah. It failed miserably. They got in. They broke in. They found his file. They looked all through his file. They couldn't find anything to use. So instead of just putting everything back to where it was, they just threw his um, what they file. It ca- casing it or yeah, something like that? Yeah, they threw his file down on the desk and just walked out, locked everything up, and took off. Oh. So that was their first shot at espionage, kind of a way to break in, mm. try to find some dirt didn't go well but it apparently didn't stop them because then they rolled right in they got the, away
1: with it so yeah. they were probably like oh we we did enough to not get caught so that's that's cool so yeah he comes to the other three so Mitchell again attorney general who should have been like uh how about you know fuck no this let's, is completely legal let's try not was doing like
0: illegal things yeah
1: later. he just right. viewed it as unrealistic but then 2 months later he approves a reduced version of the plan so the reduced version is just going to be basically to break in, photograph documents, and plan a couple wiretaps. Yep. So Liddy was assigned two former CIA officers under him, um, E. Howard Hunt, well, I'll just say Howard Hunt, and then James McCord.
0: James McCord was a pretty interesting fellow because he had spent some time in the CIA before that. He was helping run security for the president before um, the break-in had happened. And they actually had their first attempt, which it's kind of crazy to boil these things down to like what went right and what went wrong Mm -hmm. and just how little something can change and it completely screws up the whole thing. Yeah. So the first time they break into the Democratic National Convention or Democratic National Office is May 28, 1972 in the Watergate building.
1: Did you see that he actually booked a hotel room across the street from yeah. it? So there's like a Howard Johnson, he books a hotel room across the street so they can like prep at that hotel room for the break in. Well,
0: and what is going on that there's a place called the Watergate Hotel that's like a brand new, state-of-the-art facility mm-hmm. across from a Howard Johnson. Were Howard Johnson's that big of a deal back then?
1: I don't know. But so, and I used to also think that because you, I saw pictures of the Watergate complex. It's huge. It's like a huge business complex with a hotel in it. I thought it was just like a hotel, and that the Democratic National, I thought it was like the Democratic National Committee was just like renting a room there or using like a conference room. They I thought had it was a more a timing thing.
0: Or uh-huh. one, they have one floor. Is that what it was? I think it was the one floor within floor the business
1: complex. So it's separate from the hotel. Watergate just refers to the actual business complex as a whole. Mm-hmm. It can cover okay. several different buildings. So yeah, they break in May twenty eighth, nineteen seventy two.
0: They throw a little bit of tape over one of the doors down in the underground parking garage. So over so door- like the locking mechanism yep.
1: to make sure that it'll close over, mm-hmm. but that they can pop it in and exactly. out if they need to.
0: Um, so that's successful. They break in. They make their way up to the floor that the committee's on, break into the committee. They take their pictures. They're looking around. They're gathering their intel, and they bug two phones, I believe it was. Yeah,
1: so first one, Robert Oliver, who is an executive director. Um, and then Larry O'Brien was the big one because he was actually the Democratic National Committee chairman.
0: I wonder if that's any relation to Larry O'Brien, the guy that's named for the NBA championship trophy. Mm hmm.
1: Um. So over some time, apparently the wiretaps work to some degree because they're monitoring them enough to know that one of them starts malfunctioning, or maybe both of them start to start or start to malfunction.
0: Well, they were pissed because they were getting nothing. They were all mm-hmm. they were doing was listening to people gossip about relationships. Yeah, they couldn't get anything that was really that good. And the one I think that was malfunctioning was kind of like there if we can get this one to work this is going to be the one that we need this is going to be all the intel that we're trying to gather and
1: kind of coming back to apparently this got repeated by one like person on the committee that was investigating Waggy you know, over and over it's what did the president know and when did he know it like that's just got repeated over and over what i'm looking at here is even for this whole operation is was Nixon paranoid because of only winning the previous election by such a small margin that he felt he wasn't going to win this next one? So he needed to go ahead. Did he give the order to start doing this? Because, of course, he knew that there was, you know, political party foul play going, going yeah. back and forth probably. but Not to this
0: extent yet.
1: Correct. So I'm just wondering kind of what what was happening within their administration to think that they were in that much of a danger of losing that they already had, to, that they had to do this.
0: I don't know if it was really that.
1: Do you think it was just the guys that were planning this? Do you think it was them trying to go ahead and just kind of like up their clout and status sticks to come to him and be like, we got you this information, this is really going to help you. And he's like, oh, he's my guy now.
0: I think there was some of that, but there was so much paranoia going on at the time because they were, very concerned that all these counterculture people, all the people that were uh, protesting against the war, they were really concerned that those people in the Democratic Party were in cahoots and that it was going to overthrow their power and that we were going to turn into a bunch of flower power children Mm -hmm. and just completely ruin the country. So there was definitely motivation, I think, from Nixon. But at this point, I don't think Nixon knows anything about the actual like what's going on he racing. wasn't he wasn't
1: in the planning stages they yeah he wasn't privy to it okay so they were basically in a position where they were like we're going to wait till this is successful tell him we did this because it's successful he's not going to give a shit yeah okay so the second break in actually happens a little less than a month later on June 17th so first one May 28th second one June 17th to repair the wiretap from the first one same plan same yep. like same idea this time okay so i don't know how many guys they had the first time but there were five guys this time. So I just put down their last names. So it was Gonzalez, Barker, Martinez, Sturgis, and then McCord, James McCord, who we already discussed. So him and four other guys with him. The guy that was working that night, security guard, he'd just got back from Vietnam, hadn't he? Uh, I didn't see that. I know that he was young, though. Yes, he, I think he was like 19. Or like he, 20.
0: I think he was a little older than that because they said that he was working graveyard shifts, trying to. It, he had been there for a little while. I would okay. say it was twenty two, twenty three, okay. but he was definitely still very young, young
1: guy. So he's doing his nightly rounds, and he notices, like they did the first time before, but it was never noticed. He notices tape on the locks of the doors, so the doors closed over, and it was between like the parking garage and then like getting into the building. Yeah. But then he also, it. as he kind of like, he peeled it off. The door shut and locked. He went about his rounds, and he comes back by that door, apparently, back from his rounds. He notices the door taped over again. So even in the time that he was doing his rounds, someone from that five-man team went and re-taped it. Wouldn't you think, if you're on that five-man team, if you came back and you noticed that the tape that you put there got removed, and none of the other people of your team, that there's someone else there, and you'd be like, hey, I just noticed this tape is gone instead of telling you guys about it or us getting the fuck out of here, I'm just going to retape it. We'll call it good.
0: Yeah. I, I'm sure there was probably communication because they were walking back and forth with Lydian and Hunt that were sitting... I think they got another room at the Hojo. Correct.
1: Did you see the radio, what the radio looks like or the radios look like? Were they huge? No, dude. They had designed these radios to fit within... The radio itself was in a cord. Like it was corded. The mic was in a thing, a chapstick. What? And it had a little black button on it, and they would have, like, the chapstick in their top pocket, yeah. so if they had to just pull it out, it looked huh. like chapstick, and then a cord went down to, like, probably, a, like, a pack. Yeah. So they were sophisticated enough for that.
0: Well, you have to think with McCord being an ex-CIA officer, yes, they obviously. had all the tech that they needed to, and there, to pull something it's
1: off. And administration resources. I yeah. mean, he's not just using that. So Frank Willis notices the tape on the door the second time. He decides to call the police. So, and like you were saying, all of the things that had to be in play for this to happen if these guys getting caught, it starts to get a little ridiculous at some point. So one security guard notices the tape, calls three cops. You get three plainclothes officers in an unmarked car responding to the call.
0: They were out on the street trying to buy drugs and uh, yep, trying to do down dealers. They were
1: the bum squad. They were dressed as hippies <laughs> to bust drug deals. So these Some guys kind respond, of cowboy
0: hat, some kind of bandana.
1: Know. So these guys respond. Because it's an unmarked car, they're not coming in with the lights or anything like that. It looks like just a car pulling up to the Watergate complex. So the guys on the, the lookout, the lookout was watching a movie.
0: It was like his favorite sci-fi movie,
1: yes. wasn't it? Yes. So he's watching a movie. Unmarked car comes up. Cops get out. They go up. And I think it was on... I can't remember which floor it was on. It wasn't ground on floor. Six, it was six. Six. Yes. So they're going up through the stairwell. And what they're noticing is every door leading to the Democratic National Committee offices, those are the ones taped open to just make for a quick entry and exit. So they bust in. These cops dressed like hippies. And find five guys, all wearing suits, surgical <laughs> gloves on, just going through papers and everything. Um, of course, they have no idea who these people are. They just think some guys are breaking into an office building. So they just, you know, of course, it's not even at this point, the cops aren't thinking that this is like a political job or anything.
0: Well, and even to go along with your mic talk, they found two pen-sized tear gas canisters yeah, on these guys. They, so had, they were outfitted... A little bit more than just a couple randos trying to break in. No, it's not someone buying
1: stuff from the Army-Navy surplus. Yeah. No. These guys, they had, I think, that $2,300 cash in sequential bills on them. Which is obviously
0: a a no-no.
1: Yep. Uh, 40 rolls of film, two cameras, and like you said, three pen-sized tear gas guns. Um, Four of the men arrested were Cuban. Those had been recruited by Howard Hunt.
0: This kind of brought me to something that... I was curious about, do you think that there was any thought of these guys being Cuban that played into it? Yes. because obviously
1: there was there was some type of justification for it that I had read. um it was something about because of course, you know, the Bay of Bay of Pigs invasion yeah, everything there was some
0: that Kennedy had gone through correct. there was
1: some type of resentment or anti Cuban movement against Kennedy and the Democratic Party because of the failure of the Bay and Pigs invasion. They said that some Cubans, like the ones that were on the other side of Castro, yeah, I don't know what you would call them, rebels. Um, the rebels, they still had a presence and were upset at the Democrats because nothing they made promises apparently to them. I would imagine, and they didn't come through. So they, they, said they said it was really some type of yeah. Up the Bay of so there was thought behind okay. those four other it, guys.
0: It just struck me as interesting because there's no, I mean, four Cubans is arguably a lot of Cubans out of five.
1: Correct, but I mean, some of these guys were, these weren't just like, and I don't want, I'm not saying Cubans to be like derogatory. No. This is just simply because they wanted to tie it back to this. These guys were like wealthy, or they were connected and everything like that. Yeah. So they're not like just going down to Miami and being like, you, 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 come help us break into this place. They're picking these guys because of their skill set, but they're also making sure they have this, this backstory story, it back, backstory yeah. behind it about why these guys would be breaking in without tying it to to the White House. So,
0: Which is good for those four. Unfortunately, number five, huge backstory. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Wh- which, why are you sending in four of them? And then you're still sending in the one guy who can tie it all back to everybody else. Like, are you just hoping that if they do get caught? Like, it's just like, Oh, we're going to increase our chances. One out of five is less likely to get caught.
0: Well, and he was the guy being a former security officer. I'm sure he was definitely more in the know. I think he was one that kind of helped him find the listening Mm -hmm. devices that they were going to use because they wanted to, the first plan, they wanted to go in and use battery powered bugs. Mm -hmm. And the knock on battery power bugs is obviously somebody has to go in and rechange the batteries yeah. when they run out. So that was when they switched to these devices inside the phones so they could run off that power. Supply. But yeah, like you said, man, it had to be an
1: insane series of all these dominoes falling in the right place for this app. And you had to have the security guard noticing the tape on the door of the parking garage. So him doing his job, you know, him actually doing his rounds and doing a good job at it. Um, you had to have the right cops show up that were in plain clothes and in an unmarked car. And you, the
0: movie playing on you TV. You had to have that
1: movie playing on TV for the lookout not to be watching it. And it, yeah, it's just but insane.
0: The fact that, to think that tape, tape that was over a door is potentially more than likely what led to Nixon having to yeah. quit. The first president ever to leave office under his own terms like that. Security guard Frank Willis takes down the president. Yeah, I hope he got like a... I don't know what you would give a security officer. It's not a purple heart or a gold star.
1: Imagine at the end of all this how he felt watching this happen and how it turned out. He's (laughs) like, oh my fucking God. He's like think of that story man he's like I'll tell you a fucking story I was at work one night and I found tape on a dorm. and people were like okay and he's
0: like and then fucking Richard Nixon resigned <laughs> by the end of it people were like what the fuck he's just sitting at the bar and they're watching it on TV he's like yeah I know about that I was the guy that found the that's, tape that's <laughs> that just having that story
1: for life would be would be crazy so hopefully he got a raise I'm guessing he did so September 15th You kind of see, this is what I'm trying to kind of understand is this thing happens over the course of a very long time. Yeah. And that's what I, you know, that's one of the things that I really didn't understand about this. Probably one of the biggest things was that the whole Watergate scandal was over the course of years and just little bits of information coming out. It wasn't like the break-in happened, the link was directly to Nixon, and this occurred within the course of a month. It's, you have... Break-in happening and them getting arrested on May 28th, September 15th. The five burglars, Hunt and Liddy, are all indicted. So enough information has been brought to light at that point. People have talked enough to go ahead and connect it to these people.
0: But even at that point, this is still pre-election. So this all still happens pre-election, correct? Correct.
1: I wonder how quiet this was. Because remember, that was one big thing about this. Is that until there were, certain things were set in motion... It was just really the Washington Post. Yeah, it was Woodward this, and Bernstein. Yep. They were
0: the ones that were there that day in court to find out that McCord was an ex-CIA yeah, officer. Yeah,
1: just off of like their editors or their chief's hunch, he was just like, hey, he's like it's a Saturday. He was working on a Saturday or weekend. He's like, hey, uh, go check this out. Five guys were arrested the Democratic National Committee. Go see what it is. And so I think it was it Woodward or the or did they both go?
0: Woodward was the first one. So he was were. the
1: one that went, and he heard just these little key things. During the trial. And he was like, oh, he's like, oh, there's something here. That was another thing, too. I'm going to go on a tangent on this, but this gave me a huge, like, reality check between the portrayal of reporters and legitimate journalists. Yeah. Like, you have, like, portrayal of reporters and everything like that. Like, you have your reporters that go report and gather information for your local news. And you never really think about that. Like, hey, who gathered these stories? Who who made the story that's going to be on Up 5 today? But then you have people whose entire profession and lives are literally dedicated to just breaking one big or two big stories for your entire career. Make or break stories that will go ahead and make you famous. And there are so many people doing this at all times. Are these journalists just chasing down these little leads? Oh, Someone in California heard of this guy. I better go fly across the country and see if this pans out.
0: Yeah. It, the fact that Woodward is still around today, he's still writing books and yeah. he's still doing things. This was so long ago. Well, and but you, this made his career.
1: Correct. So, and that's why the book that he just recently wrote probably had so much traction. They're like from the author or from the journalist that uncovered Watergate. Like who's yeah, not going to... Clout. Instant. Big flex. So you have them picking up on this and on January 30th, the five burglars were tried and convicted. So that's just the five burglars. That's not Liddy or Hunt.
0: Well, and this is... We just jumped ahead of quite possibly one of the awesomest nicknames and awesomest leakers to ever come about.
1: I was going to get to that, but I had had just the dates written down. Oh, okay. So at this point... Yeah, again, we're jumping all the way from September 15th. Now we're already in 73 now, January 30th. That's when they're actually tried and convicted. So, fuck, man, what the wheels of government turned slow, like from the indictment to them all getting convicted was another four months?
0: And they, in between in that time, we had had Nixon already come out and say, we didn't have anything to do with this break-in. This wasn't us. This was a bunch of people that came out on their own volition that we had no contact with, come and break in. So he already has his first denial, and at that point, he had to have known.
1: Correct. Oh, yeah, because it states in... That was August 29th, what you are talking about. So he states in a televised news conference that John Dean, oh, who is... Oh, that was the
0: investigation. This was June 22nd that that happened. Oh, really? So he came out and made the first denial, what, five days afterwards? So they had to have talked, because... When you get to the 29th, that's when the John Dean investigation news comes out.
1: Yeah, when was the... There's that tape that... The smoking gun tape.
0: That came out way later. That was... That was after, okay. That was the final release of the tapes. So at this point, there is
1: reason to believe that he has been briefed on this. Because now they're like, oh, this didn't go well. We should probably tell Nixon that this operation failed. That, That makes sense, yeah.
0: To go into... How this whole thing was connected? How Woodward came on to starting reporting was he talked to um, his informant, which we just alluded to, Deep Throat, which all time name. Right? You, oh yeah, do you know who Deep Throat was? Yes, I do know who Deep Throat was. Who was it? Deep Throat.
1: Oh, where's my notes? Where's my notes? Oh, Deepthroat was out, William Felt. And it didn't come out until 2006? Yeah, it didn't come out for a while. William Felt, so they had a previously established relationship of him being an informant to yeah. Woodward. He was an established informant, so he just, they, they had worked together in the past, obviously had, in this situation, a very trusting relationship. William Felt, the deputy director of the FBI.
0: And uh, he wasn't even the first deep throat.
1: No, but With like... The Loveless,
0: first <laughs> deep throat. That's where the name it? comes from.
1: Okay, so we talked about this before. I thought that the movie was made and based on... It was like a porn version of Watergate, and that's why it was called Deep Throat, is because that's who like the informant was. But you enlightened me. So what Ugh. actually was the plot of the film Deep Throat that occurred before Watergate?
0: It was uh, enthralling. I'd like to say, uh, full disclosure... I'm sorry that I didn't do the research on this that I should have. I should have sat down with the film. I should have. This should have it taken up seat. half the board. Yeah, I, I should have really sat yeah. down and rolled up my sleeves and really worked this one out. Mm-hmm. But just a plot summary: Linda Lovelace, a sexually frustrated woman, asks her friend Helen for advice on how to achieve an orgasm. After a sex party provides no help, Helen recommends that Linda visit a psychiatrist, Doctor Young the doctor discovers that Linda's clitoris is actually located inside of her throat. You don't say. <laughs> I don't know. Is that an x-ray? Did, did psychiatrists dun, do x-rays? Dun, dun, <laughs> Plot twist. Oh, uh, where was it? And he helps her... Oh. Yeah, the doctor discovers that Linda's clitoris is located in her throat. And after, helps her to develop her oral sex skills. The infatuated that, Laura that asks him brave, to marry her.
1: brave <laughs> yeah. man. Not only... Is he trying to help people mentally as a psychiatrist? He's also going the next step. He's he's checking throats. He obviously had to go ahead and check to make sure that her clitoris wasn't located in the yeah. normal position. Yeah. He's he, like, I can confirm it is not here. Let's check the
0: throat. I got a crazy idea. Mm-hmm. It might be in the back of your throat. Let's try By it. God, it is. <laughs> so, after that... After she becomes so infatuated that she asks him to marry her, which progresses for back in the day. Love conquers all, man. Yeah, well, and he's a hero at that yeah. point. He informs her that she can settle for a job as his therapist, which, I mean, that's... Being a therapist, therapist, probably pretty good. Or being a psychiatrist, therapist, probably pretty good. To perform her particular oral technique. Thereafter known as deep throat. Was this... you think this was the first time that that term was used? Well, no,
1: because if someone thought it up for the title of the movie,
0: yeah, okay. but
1: the movie apparently had such like a—I'm um, trying to think—it was it was so popular in in just like socially popular, not yeah. the movie itself, but there was talk about it. It was like a Kardashian sex. tape, well, even if you didn't yes, see it, the movie was very popular. Yes, as far as movies could be like that, could be popular at the time. So. They ended up using, and I don't even know if it was Woodward, it might have been someone, oh it might God. have been his, like, his editor, came up with the codename Deep Throat for his informant.
0: Roger Ebert did a breakdown of the movie back in 73. He wrote, It is all very well and good for Linda Lovelace, the star of the movie, to advocate sexual freedom, but the energy she brings to her role is less awesome than discouraging. If you have to work this hard at sexual freedom, maybe it just isn't worth the effort. (laughs) Roger Ebert, a man who's I'm not going to lie to you,
1: I no that's the thing is I respect the guy just for actually being like, all right, I'm going to give the people what they want. I'm going to watch this thing. So, um, felt his name for this specific situation was codenamed Deep Throat. I'm sure he went. Uh, unfortunately, this was probably his codename going forward, but um, I'm sure he used different monikers for yeah. previous previous interactions with well, Woodward.
0: He was the one that gave the tip to Bernstein of Howard Hunt's name, because yes. up until then they didn't really know, and it was tied to a number in a a book that they found. I think it might have been in the hotel um, that they were watching from, but Howard. Or Burns... Wow, shit. Woodward looked around, couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. Goes ahead and calls the White House. Just gets his balls up in him. Calls the White House, asks for Howard Hunt, and the secretary replies back to him. uh, He can't be reached at the time. He wasn't in that day or something like that, yeah. But here's another number that you can reach him at. And then who did it go to? Oh, I read who it went to.
1: It connected to the Committee for Re-Election of the President, I want to say. So that's what it was. That's that was what their in, first yeah.
0: connection between Hunt and the president. That was it.
1: Like I remember reading that. That was like a holy shit moment for him. He's like, this just got like a lot
0: deeper. So, and that's the sad part was that happened, but there was still not, the public didn't care. The public didn't give a shit at that point.
1: No, it's because like we were saying, like the Washington Post is really the only one that covered it in a serious manner. All there there were a bunch of newspapers apparently that ran stories that were. It was almost like counterintelligence. So Washington Post runs the story about the connection between all of this and the connection to the White House. Other newspapers would run retractions to that story. So usually if you're a newspaper, you run the story, and if it's wrong, you run the retraction that will then reference the first story. They were almost running counterintelligence without (sighs) ever having even that first standpoint of it actually happening. There were a few newspapers that did that. So you had... Like one voice in the dark and you had like multiple voices shouting against it. So not a lot of people were aware of this. That's so crazy. Also, at this point, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's on TV as far as like um committee, subcommittee hearings, all that kind of stuff that you're always seeing.
0: I think it was all on C-SPAN too. I think C-SPAN was back there. Yeah,
1: but at this point... All these little side cases or trials, they're not being televised. People aren't watching. You're not getting highlights on social media. It's just everything's just a lot more available now.
0: Yeah, and after that happens, we come up to, I think it was August 17th that Woodward and Bernstein finally linked the campaign funds that um, they had for the re-election committee. They linked them to the actual burglars that committed the uh Watergate break in.
1: Correct. So you so, have even th-
0: bigger news because they're seeing the money that's being raised for a reelection campaign in the they, pockets of these guys. They that are tracked still it back to on
1: one trial. donor. It, it was, was one guy's twenty five thousand dollar donation check. Of course he had no idea what it was for. It's been yeah. proven. It was his check that then got funneled through what was it like three or four banks like Mex a Mexican There's bank? There was a Mexican and then, bank. And they were able to at this point track that well, you wonder how banks keep records in this situation, but they were able to follow that trail and find out that one of the burglars was paid in um, committee to reelect the president creep donations. So they found out about this. Prior to that, when did the Martha Mitchell situation happen? This was very... Oh, when she got a... <sighs>
0: We'd have to look more into when that was. Maybe maybe we'll jump back into that. Maybe we'll throw a couple of the conspiracies out there at the end to make that happen. So at that point, when the campaign links had happened, or when the campaign funds were linked, then Hunt and Liddy were both suspects. They were both arrested. Then, as you were talking about earlier, we get to August 29th. August 29th is when Nixon comes out. He informs the public that I believe it was something along the lines of, we're not proud of everything that has happened, but I had John Dean go through and do an investigation of us, and he found no wrongdoing, which, hallelujah, you had your own guy go through and check on your own people, and nobody knows anything about it. Like, how, how do you even
1: think that that's going to be, apparently it was a little bit believable, because I'm sure some people did believe it, but how do you come out? And say like, you know, listen, my guy, my counsel, I had him look into anything we were doing wrong. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Nothing happened. There have been no connections to Watergate through this administration. People like, and he expected people to be like, "Eh, checks out. Sounds sounds good. Sounds good. So at this point, you have certain people who are in jail
0: and March 23rd. 73 Well before that not to break in on you November 7th, 7, 72 which came after he'd said That's the investigation right. happened I missed a big one Nixon beats McGovern with 60 percent of the vote he won every state except one is it every state
1: except for like Rhode Island something like that so he won every so he won the popular majority in every state. It was like it, it was a landslide victory. Just clean house. So, what's
0: insane is none of this was even no. required. He, he literally tried to sabotage himself. Yes. And he couldn't even get worse than 60% of the vote. Well, what I think happened
1: is this story did start gaining steam. Like you said, he had to address it on the 29th. I think at that point, though, what I kind of read was that the reason he landslided McGovern so bad is the Democratic National Com- uh, Committee was so focused on proving Watergate yeah. was connected to, uh, to Nixon that for like the last like six months of the election season to go ahead and build up and everything, they were so focused on that, they weren't pushing. All their eggs were in the Nixon's tied to Watergate basket, and apparently they weren't focusing on how McGovern could beat him just normally.
0: Well, in the time frame that you have from August to November... You got to start beating a different drum. Oh yeah! At, at least throw some feelers out for something. Well, else.
1: especially if it seems to be that there is a connection there. I see why they did that. I don't think they should have played all the fucking eggs in that basket. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, you need to have a, a portion of your resources being dedicated to be like, hey, let's find out if this guy fucked up because this will be easy if he did.
0: Well, and not to mention when he comes out, he's like, yeah, we investigated ourselves. We're all good got to look at that situation and Think, think, hey, maybe no, we should not. go a different direction. Yeah, no, you're not. Maybe, maybe let's keep that in our back pocket.
1: So, okay. So he ends up winning landslide victory, the whole Watergate thing, completely irrelevant to him winning. Even he wins in spite of that. Yep. So McCord writes a letter to the judge who originally presided over their trial. It was Judge uh, Sirica.
0: And this was after Hunt and the Cubans had pled guilty... And McCord and Liddy were fighting and then ended up getting found guilty on their counts.
1: Correct. And from then from after, being tied to it by the $25,000 campaign okay. contributions, right? So,
0: yeah, so that's when the letter comes out as yes. after all those are done.
1: So McCord decides to go ahead and write the judge a letter telling her that there was perjury that occurred in the Watergate trial and that the burglars had been pressured into staying quiet. I don't know if he specified who had lied. He just told her that as part of that. I think the implication is that if you're writing the letter, yeah, that it's you're one of the ones that did it. So he's basically saying, "Hey, I'm willing to go ahead and talk. Let's let's make a deal."
0: And There's other factors at work yep. that are paying these other people to stay quiet. You're gonna. And, I have what I think is worth your time. Oh yeah, taking time off my sentence. Well, so, I mean, if he's if he's the only non-Cuban, he's definitely oh the definitely one. That one they he was the
1: Listen. one that was the ex-CIA. Yeah, guy. So I mean. Head dog. Yeah, so the judge makes a deal to reduce McCord and two of the other burglar's sentences if they talk. So what this ended up doing is this ends up implicating, through their testimony, it implicates John Dean and Oh yeah, John Mitchell.
0: And to go back to the John Dean investigation, after he had said that Dean had done it, this was a surprise to everybody, literally including Dean, because Dean did not know the investigation at Yeah, it didn't even all. take place. He just said that. Nothing had even occurred. There
1: was no looking into it. So the investigation was just a bullshit claim. It implicates John Dean, John Mitchell. So John Dean suggests that he and the three others or three others within the party basically take the fall for this to save the presidency. And at some point, once this information comes out that these guys are implicated... The Watergate Investigation Committee is established February 7th of 73. So, this was established, I know I just said March 23rd was when he got the letter. There had been an, an investigative committee established about a little more than a month before that. Hearings start taking place. Are my dates matching up?
0: Um. Yeah, pretty close. Uh, after the McCord letter happens, then you get into the March when the hearings start to happen. Everything's on TV. And... I think Dean had, like you were saying, had kind of constructed a way to say, hey, this is how we should play this, but then also started fearing that he was going to be the one that is the one that takes it full brunt. Yeah. it April's wasn't going to be spread out between yeah, the four of no. them. Someone, someone's going to turn on him and implicate him as the ringleader or whatnot. He was going to be the figurehead, and he had concerns about that. Well, especially,
1: he's, he's the attorney general. Out of those guys' positions, he's literally the one that they would come down hardest on his, like, oh, yeah. uh, like treason
0: to his job. Yeah, he's the head lawyer yeah. at that point. So April 17th, he decides that it's time to start going into business for himself. He comes into Nixon's office. He tells him that he's working with the committee, and that just absolutely infuriates Nixon.
1: There were, like, two or three guys that seemed to have come to Nixon and be like, oh, hey, by the way, um, I'm talking to the committee yeah. as well. I don't know what the time frame on it was, but I think he had two or three of those guys come in and be like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm talking as well. Yeah. So between May 17th and August 7th is when this the hearing for the Watergate committee is taking place. That's where, you know, you've seen examples of it for I'm trying to think of a recent. Like televised trial that you'd see like the impeachment or something like that just yeah. something you see it on tv it would just be
0: i would say oj but that wasn't really political yeah. but it was definitely something that was in yeah. the mind's eye of the general you're climate. having
1: people having the depositions in front of members of congress and getting their information yeah so and that's occurring over this time frame
0: we have a new special prosecutor that's appointed um After Dean gets asked for his resignation from Nixon, because obviously Nixon's not going to let him keep in office... He's... Well, he's... uh, Was that the... What is it? Like the Saturday Night Massacre? No, that's
1: even a little bit later. Okay, so he starts distancing himself from anybody who can then tie him to this at this point.
0: Yep. So Dean flips. They get a new AG. The AG brings in a special prosecutor to look at the case. A guy named Archibald Cox, who Nixon was furious. I That's think, such a fucking bad Archie Cox. Yeah, Archie like, Cox like, is Arch- a Archibald. Name. is a badass name. Yeah. I like that name. You,
1: yeah, I don't. You got to be, you got to be British. To I think pull off Archibald. Yeah, yeah.
0: It, you got to have kind of a, a longer nose and a cane. And mm-hmm. So Nixon's so pissed off that his new guy brought in Archibald Cox. He said something to. If he had gone through all my list of enemies and all the people that I hate and all the people that have come after me in my time, they couldn't have picked a worse person to do this. Because Cox was- had a lot of connections to a lot of the people that Nixon had railroaded in the Democratic That's Party. Right. So it was a bad, bad meeting. He was a Republican, though, but he did
1: have good standing relationships, correct?
0: Uh, Cox? I think they said that Cox was a Democrat. Oh,
1: was he? Yeah. Okay, so they were just trying to make it, were, you know, keep keep both parties in the loop with the investigation. Yeah. So, I want to say that it was July 13th, during the t- um, the hearings. So, this was, well, essentially this was the bombshell. This was a bombshell for part of the case, too. So, a White House assistant, I didn't write down his name, um, reveals...
0: For the recordings? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so before of- Alexander Butterfield goes on, John Dean takes a stand, and Archie Cox asks him if there's anything that he has. He said that there were 35 different conversations that him and Nixon had had mm-hmm. about the Watergate scandal. And he said, well, that's great. We'd love that information. And he says, I don't have the recordings. I I don't know if there are recordings. Mm -hmm. I just know that there's these 35 different conversations that we had. Because
1: it's known that the ability to record your conversations in the Oval Office is there. But at this point, because I think most people, even the people in this committee, I think they believe at this point still that it has to be the instigated recordings. You have to start the recordings. And why would someone ever start a recording if you're doing if you're talking you know
0: nefarious activity you know, should yeah, never yeah. be recorded it's yeah. just a bad idea so this assistant while on the stand reveals that they're... Alexander some... Butterfield goes afterwards oh, okay so and yeah. he's the assistant he's the one that actually set all the recording systems up that's right so he was the guy that comes out and says we have all these on tape these okay. tapes do exist this is how the recording system works anytime nixon
1: starts talking in his office this thing starts recording. So the tapes, the committee immediately subpoenas the tapes. The Senate immediately subpoenas the tapes as well. And this is where, I think we kind of were hitting on this really early in the podcast, this is where Nixon just refuses to release, citing executive privilege as the president.
0: Yeah, he said that they were something that he had in his office, they were something that was privy to him, and that there's, he basically just said that these tapes exist... But there's nothing on these tapes that would implicate me Correct. in anything. Listen,
1: I've already what? had my guy that I understand I've recently fired. I already told you. He went ahead and investigated this whole thing. He took my her. office had nothing to do with it, so there's not going to be anything on the recordings. Apparently, the subpoenas aren't dropped, of course, because there is going to be something on the recordings and everyone knows it.
0: Well, and it gets even hotter because after that, after the denial comes out... Cox goes back to his office and writes up a subpoena for, I think it was eight specific conversations mm-hmm. that would be on the tapes. Yeah. And this is not a, a good thing for Nixon. He gets very angry about it. And then what you alerted to bit, alluded to earlier, come October 20th, we run into what's known as the Saturday Night Massacre. Okay,
1: So because these subpoenas are still being asked for, and Watergate's really heating up at this point, Nixon orders Attorney General Richardson, who's his acting attorney general at the time, to fire Archibald Cox, the special prosecutor. Just reading that part, you're like, okay, how is that not going to just make you look instantly guilty? That's instant guilt. You're like, hey, the guy that's asking for these tapes, you need to go fire him it It really sets into i guess it really sets into perspective how you ever feel like we we look at like presidents and people in these positions as like larger than life figures, yeah, you expect them to be the paragons of all the the good of your society and everything ideally, that's what you would want. they're supposed to be a representation of all the ideals and the positives about you know America, and then you realize that all these people in government are just like humans, but they're just, like, so deeply flawed. Yeah. They're because good. they're, now, they've they've had power, and they covet power, and they covet, covet money and everything, and so, you just start to realize, this guy is so desperate, Nixon, that he's just like, "Oh, he's already paranoid, so now he's just like, you gotta fire this guy, Richardson resigns, he's like, no, fuck yeah, you.
0: not gonna make it happen.
1: So, then... Nixon just keeps going down the list, orders the deputy AG to do the same. He's like, uh, fuck you. Tells him and, to pound sand. Yep, that's not going to happen. He resigns again. So finally, and I didn't look this up. It would have been funny if I did. But Nixon finally gets to the solicitor general, whose name is Robert Bork. I didn't look it up, but I wanted to look at the chain of command of like the attorney general's office to yeah. see who's in that. I didn't look it up because I feel like Solicitor General is probably like third or fourth. You're not. But I want to imagine in my head that Solicitor General is literally like 10th down the chain. Yeah. And so he had to go through eight <laughs> other people that were just like, fuck you, no. He
0: finally saw a name and he's like, I know that name. That name sounds yes. like somebody that would do this. So his
1: name was Robert Bork and he agrees to fire Cox. He was questioned on it later, and he was like, um, he's like, I didn't do it to ingratiate myself to the president. He's like, I did it because it was part of my job. Of course. And the president asked, and I respect the office of just the president asking me to do something, and so I did it. Um, But eventually, even though he ends up firing Cox, the tapes are released. Well. Some portion, I'm guessing.
0: This is the funny thing that happens was after um, he gets down to Bork, Bork brings somebody in that's supposedly kind of like a patsy, and that guy heads right back into Cox's office and writes another subpoena for those exact same tapes. So, no matter even if Nixon can get a guy in his pocket, he's still fighting for it. Another <laughs> subpoena comes out. Nick, Nixon's sh- sh- eh, I can't talk. He's
1: sifting for turds. Yeah. And you can only sift so much and find so many turds before finally someone's going to get in and be like, oh no, I'm not one of the turds. Like, well, it, you just is, happened to get me, and I'm going against you now.
0: Yeah, this is still, like, I'm your boy, but we need to get this down. We need to get this At figured At a certain out. point,
1: i got to worry about me, man. If I'm now going to do this and everything and this shit, especially if these people have got to be semi-intelligent, they've got to realize that them coming into these positions and realizing how much evidence is stacked against Nixon... Someone, it wouldn't be hard for someone to look at that and be like, oh no, I'm not hitching my wagon and lying for this. Yeah. Because especially when to, you yeah. see all
0: the other fall guys. Are like, hey, no shit, I'm not, not going to prison him.
1: for this. So finally someone just has to come in and be like, look, dude, like, I, I gotta do this. Like, even if I like you at all, I'm like,
0: I ain't going to fucking jail for you. Yeah. Well, they come back in. There's another one that comes across, another subpoena for these recordings. And I don't remember, this happened between, or after one of the subpoenas, and this is just bad researching on my part, but Nixon comes back with a deal where he says, we're not going to give you the tapes, but we will allow somebody that's between us, a neutral party, to listen to the tapes and write them out word for word, and then we'll go ahead and hand over those transcripts to you. So we're not going to give you the tapes, but we'll give you the transcripts. The Didn't, guy that Nixon wanted to choose was a senator, I believe, from South Carolina, somewhere from the he South. He was old as fuck and couldn't hear. That's he, what they said. He was famously deaf.
1: Yes, his reputation <laughs> around, like, Congress was that he was fucking deaf. At, I did read, you know, um, I read about the expeditive delete. Yeah. So did they also get access to the transcripts to be like, we need the transcripts too to write out some stuff.
0: Well, that was after the last guy comes in and does the subpoena, they realized that this isn't going away. So then to try to maybe say, hey, let's get the public on our side, they released these redacted transcripts. Mm -hmm. And it was something like 500,000 words, something like that, something ginormous. And in those transcripts, Instead of putting whatever curse word that Nixon used, it would say "explicative deleted," and it was like a waterfall of explicatives deleted. It's all like over when this. you see a, a redacted military yeah report, like yeah, in yeah, a movie, and just... it's just
1: all blacked out, <laughs> and you see like a name like Mister, and then a time, and you only get fractions of the information.
0: The roughest part of him doing this, and kind of the ultimate undoing of what happened. Was in the transcripts, there was an eighteen minute and thirty second blank mm-hmm. spot that they couldn't justify. Well, what did you read? What it was? Mm-mm. Okay, so they blamed it, of
1: course, on technical issue. How the recording system did also kind of work? Because I believe they might have been. Um, it sounds like maybe phone calls. The reason I think is this: so the his um. I don't know if you would consider it, like, his assistant had this pedal system under her desk. Yeah. And she would have to press a specific pedal to either stop or engage the recording device. And they end up blaming it on her. And she, of course, agreed. And she was like, oh, she's like, yeah, there was an issue where I didn't touch the pedal and everything like that. But the system was set up, even when they investigated at that time. That they said it was extremely unlikely that she could have done that given where she was sitting, her proximity, how she was doing the other fast. Oh, so job. it just wasn't physically possible. They also had it done in 2013. Someone went back and did forensics on it. It was debunked by forensics, so she couldn't have caused the technical issue. So just it was purposely lie. removed 18 and a half minutes. Um, and what's crazy is up to this point, nothing had been definitively established on what Nixon knew or didn't know or when he knew it. So they still can't, you know, they're still moving up the chain of trying to connect the dots to see how high it went. Yeah. But they still haven't got that, that big, big piece of information. Um, I got to pee. Yeah. Okay. For me. All right. And we're back. So let's see. Okay. So at this point, Tapes are eventually released, missing the 18 and a half minutes, blamed on technical issues, found out, not technical issues. So, when was the, you were talking about the I'm not a crook speech, when was that? Yeah,
0: that was 1973, November 17th, he comes out, starts peacocking a little bit, talking about how there are people that are crooks, but he is not a crook, and that's... Probably his most famous line of all time out of all the things that he said. The I'm not a crook speech. I am not a crook. Yeah. It's absolutely perfect in his voice. It's amazing. So after he comes out with the I'm not a crook speech, they finally realize that there's just nothing that they can do. Um, There's a gap of time in there where they realize that it's just pretty much over for them. They're going to have to release the tapes eventually. They're going to have to get that out there. One of his last ditch efforts that he had tried to um, do to thwart the whole thing was he had asked the head of the CIA to get in touch with the head of the FBI and basically told him, "Yo, what you mean, need he to like, drop sp- it. He's like drop it. Yeah, you need to squash this investigation. You need to drop it. You need to tell them that they need to walk away from this because it's not going to be in their best interest mm-hmm. if it's not in my best interest." Yeah. So even though we tried, which I'm sure the CIA was like, "Yeah, fuck you, dude. I'm not. I'm not falling into this thing." Well, like I, I, know I keep going back
1: to this, but for me, it's the it's the span of time that all this is happening. So I mean, the tapes that are missing the 18 and a half minutes, that just kind of gets like, I don't know if it's hushed up or it kind of falls out of like the public eye, but there's still politically the subpoenas. They're getting the information. There's still the people in government. The prosecutors on this committee that are still pushing for these tapes the entire time. It's just nothing really comes of it. It's just working
0: behind the scenes.
1: Correct. So, I mean, it's not almost a year later, but I mean, it's in August 74. All of a sudden, they get what's now referred to as the smoking gun tape. And what this tape finally discloses was that Nixon knew of the initial Watergate cover up.
0: And he knew of the payments that were going out yep. to try to hush them up. Because at one point, I think during that smoking gun tape, when they're talking about money to keep the people quiet mm-hmm. that, are, that have already been arrested, I think he says something like, don't worry about that. We can raise up the extra million dollars or whatever yeah. we need, which is about as incriminating as it gets. No, and
1: I mean, they even make references to Watergate. They try to kind of, it sounds like they dance around it. They kind of say, hey, you know the thing that we're dealing with? <laughs> You know this and they think they're being sly about it but it's there's enough evidence on it especially with Nixon having the conversation that um, yeah it discloses that he knew very early on about the cover-up he may not have known about the plan to break in and all that kind of stuff but as soon as he was informed of that in the cover-up he uh he was eventually what would that he used an accessory to it yeah
0: he was a co-conspirator correct
1: yeah co-conspirator so on sev or oh, sorry on August 8th Three days after that, he announces his eh, resignation on TV.
0: Which looks sad. He still fights to the bitter end. He still says that he didn't do anything wrong, that the tapes didn't make him look guilty, but now he wants to put the interest of the people in front yeah, of his I'm, own personal I'm, interest.
1: I don't want to be a distraction yeah. for the American people. The other thing, too, the reason he had to resign, he was going to get impeached for it. There was already articles written against him mm-hmm. that after this tape came out, they had almost like unilateral support like bar- or bipartisan support enough to easily impeach him and force him to resign, kick him out of office.
0: His approval had dropped so low with the people that they knew that it was coming he, and, he had no power in in Congress at all. Yeah, he had the, no one that would be. The rats were yeah. jumping overboard. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to go down with the ship. They weren't going to be the ones that said, "No, I'm still on his side." Let's not impeach him. So, and
1: uh, you know, with this information now out that he knew about Watergate, three days took three days for him to be like, "Someone finally." Do you think it was him, or do you think it was finally just someone standing up and be like, "Dude, this like, no, it's it's done. There is no way that you can come back from this.
0: Uh, there's no recourse. You have nothing." That you can... There's no plan B. They're, you, they're you, in plan X yeah, already. And you gotta try summer. to...
1: You gotta, of course, try what he tried and be like, listen, I'm still not guilty, but since this is such a big deal and it's distracting all of America from getting stuff done, I'm gonna go ahead and take the hit for it and step back.
0: Well, and mm-hmm. he's, what, a a year into his second term? Mm-hmm. He's... Yeah, that's why I think if you think about it, because Gerald Ford was his VP. Well, Gerald Ford... Gerald Ford was his VP that took over, but his original running mate Spiro Agnew. Mm-hmm. Did you look into that fella? No. Oh boy! So besides having an awesome name, it would have been pretty cool to have a president Spiro. But before- it sounds like, but you always hear like uh, someone like with a Greek name.
1: It sounds like a Michael Scott Greek character. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it Spiro- yeah? Okay. Isn't Spiros his yeah?
0: <laughs> so at this point. Before, I guess not at this point, I keep saying that. This dog color thing is going to work wonders for me. But at a time before Nixon resigns, there is a look into Spiro Agnew because he used to be a, let's see where it is. Uh, It says, in early 1972, George Beale, the United States Attorney for the District of Maryland, opened an investigation of corruption in Baltimore County involving public officials, architects, engineering firms, and paving contractors. Beale's target was current political leadership in Baltimore County. There were rumors that Agnew might be involved, which uh, Beale initially discounted. Agnew had not been uh, county executive since December 1966. So this was a ways back. Any wrongdoing potentially committed while he held that office could not be prosecuted because of the statute limitations had expired. Um, the investigative reporters and Democratic operatives had pursued rumors that Agnew had been corrupt during his years as a Maryland official but they had not been able to substantiate them until 1973 when Agnew heard of the investigation and had the current Attorney General Richard klein densed contact Beale. And they ended up proving that he was still, while he was in office, um, Agnew had already met with both Nixon uh, and Haig to assert his innocence. On August 1st, Beale sent a letter to Agnew's attorney attorney formally advising him that the vice president was under investigation for tax fraud and corruption. Matz was prepared to testify that uh, he had met with Agnew at the White House and given him $10,000 in cash. Another witness, Jerome B. Wolfe, head of Maryland's Robe Commission, had extensive documentation and detailed, as, Bill put, or as Beale put it, every corrupt payment he had participated in with then-Governor Agnew.
1: So it so, kind of establishes that Nixon surrounded himself with a certain type of people, just yeah, naturally. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: This guy was still, as Vice President of the United States, I don't know what their salary was at that time, He was still taking $10,000 payments from these guys back in Maryland who were just handing him money for these different contracts. Well,
1: here's the other thing, too, is, you know, with the Gerald Ford thing, it's also going to kind of explain a little bit maybe about, again, the kind of people that were attracted to Nixon. Um, Of course, he's not going to be – he wasn't Nixon's choice, or maybe he was, but, of course, he would have had to get the green light from the Republican National Committee and all that stuff. So September 8th, a month after – he announces his resignation, resignation on TV. New President Gerald Ford gives him a full pardon. Such bullshit. There's there what what's the incentive? Like, is it because this ends up staining Ford's presidency? Like, this is one of the big things we talked about. Like Nixon's fuck ups. The huge fuck up on Ford's presidency was that he pardoned Richard Nixon.
0: I'm sure there was a little like I feel bad for the guy, but. Do you think it was to save face for the party
1: in itself? They were like, listen, man, he's the the party like needs to people. If you're not someone who would look into this just cursory and you kind of heard about Watergate, you kind of heard about Nixon, Nixon resigns. You don't pay a lot of attention to politics. But then someone tells you, you know, enough to know that he might have did something bad, resigned now, Gerald Ford's president. But then you hear Gerald Ford pardon him. You're like, oh, maybe he didn't do anything bad.
0: I think it was that, but it was also once he gives in that blank immunity and says that this isn't going to happen, all those investigations stop. All Correct. the All the Senate hearings stop. Everything is just going to so I'm going to give
1: you professional courtesy. You're going to get a pardon. But the other reason also is because now we're not investing all this time in all these other things, and I can have people do what I want to do. Yeah.
0: We can try to move our country forward yeah. past this.
1: So, and then it obviously, I'm not saying it was the main reason, but it's got to be a contributing factor because Ford loses the next election. So,
0: to Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Who was also a, a one term president. So, it wasn't like he lost it against somebody that was uber strong and stayed with the, the love of the yeah. people. It was just anybody but this guy. So, I guess,
1: you know, big congrats to Frank Willis. <laughs> for, yeah. for all of this. He gets the MVP Watergate. Here's a question. If you had to, because all of this stems from the break-in and getting caught and everything like that, <laughs> kind of what we were kicking around about trying to envision a person in this scenario who is, like, stoned. Yeah. If you had to say who during the break-in, that whole group of guys, who do you think you could go ahead and say was probably the most
0: likely to be stoned? I would say it's probably not even any of these guys. It's the guy in the room right next to the spotter at the Hojo that's like pounding on the wall, like "Hey, turn down that sci-fi movie." That's who I, I thought. That's that. exactly who I thought would yeah. be. It's the guy at the lookout for like the cops and everything. Oh like yeah, no, he definitely got stuck. Yes,
1: yes, and he's like he just hears the movie in the background. He's like just doing this. Just trying to look at the movie and then he just gets enthralled in it. He's, yeah, he's my, uh, he's my candidate.
0: Well, the, the guy next door is sitting there pedaling, He's like, this guy won't turn this shit down. Yeah. So he starts looking out the window and he sees these lights across the street and the Watergate kicking on and he sees this cowboy with a gun pointed mm-hmm. at somebody in the window. These five dudes pop up. He's like, what is going on? Then all of a sudden in the room next to him, he starts hearing papers shifting and things getting thrown into uh, suitcases and the other guy, the spotter that was supposed to be watching, it's trying to get out of there as soon as possible. They probably found him still sitting there watching the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Hey dipshit, where were
1: you? It was, it was a good part. Um, this does not make Richard Nixon look good on its own, the Watergate Mm -hmm. thing. But from what you were telling me about him as a person, his views on, what was it that he said about, um, the, the reasonable, reasonable, uh, Reasons for abortion to be used well yeah he it's if if it's uh in situations of rape or if you have like a a black guy and a white girl or yeah, black I mean. girl and a white guy it's it was something like that um
0: yeah, so he says, um, I know there are times when abortions are necessary. He tells an aide, I know that when you have a black and a white or a rape, I just say that matter of factly you know what I mean. There are times. So he looks at race relations as abortion's bad unless a rape occurs or unless we have a child who's going to be coming from two different yeah.
1: parents. He had the his anti-Semitic comments about needing to investigate, what was it, the Jewish people who were like funding his investigations against him or...
0: Yeah, these are just hard to read because it's just so terrible. But he so says, this, You this... know, the big Jewish contributors to the Democrats, could we please investigate some of those cocksuckers? That's all, just them. He, it, The way that he looks at things, and these are all caught on recordings that these same tapes brought forth. Mm-hmm. It, him and Billy Graham are talking, where is it? Uh. In a tape recorded 1972 Oval Office conversation between President Richard Nixon and Reverend Billy Graham, the nation's best-known preacher agreed with the stream of bigoted comments Nixon made about Jews and their perceived influence on American life. Graham says, "The stranglehold of the Jews in the media has got to be broken and the country's going down or the country's going down the drain." Nixon replies, "You believe that?" Graham replies, "Yes, sir." Nixon says, oh boy, so do I. I can't ever say that, but I can believe it, Graham. No, but if you get elected a second time, then we might be able to do something. So they're going back and forth talking about how the Jews run the media and about how they're their biggest targets. Yeah. When- this is coming from a guy who, they are unsubstantiated reports, mm-hmm. but there were multiple people that came out and said that Nixon actively beat his wife. He actively beat Pat, mm-hmm. which... these things are going on inside the White House. Well, here's the
1: thing, is if you're capable, and I'm not making that, you know, that assertion or anything like that, but when you get down to it and you see how these people are flawed, like, on a human level like this, how much, how much faith does this lose, like, when you see, and I don't know what the perception of presidents was at the time prior to him, I would assume, man, I would assume you're coming off, like, Eisenhower, you're coming off JFK, your perception of the president has got to be high like these people are the best the best we can put in this position yeah you get to this and does that whole just facade of like though these guys are the next level of of you know people they know what they're doing we need to trust them to lead and that just shits all over all that how do you you are now like nope this guy's a fuck up, just like my neighbor that I know and I don't associate with.
0: Well, and for a guy who signed something is crucial to women and other genders as Title IX, something that is demo- it's pro women. But then you
1: exactly, but then you it it puts everything into question. Like why you look for the ulterior motive and why he did that.
0: Well, and then after he does that, he says, "I'm not for women in any job. I don't want any of them around." Uh, he said, that's why we don't have any of them that work for us. Like,
1: so you go out and this, do
0: one thing, and then you're caught saying something that's just completely... So the there,
1: there's got to be an ulterior motive between, you know, you're doing these great things, but then, you know, what was also being done aside from these things that, that were so great?
0: Well, in a lot of this, a lot of the things that Creep did were all plans that they had put in place when they were going through and trying to infiltrate counter-protesters to the war. Mm -hmm. There were all these different measures that they took to try to take down anybody that didn't believe the same things that they did. So it wasn't like this was just out of thin air that they started creating these plans. They just started using them against, instead of political and social adversaries, they started using them against direct political opponents.
1: Do you think everything is still recorded in the Oval Office, or do you think after this they changed back? Do you think after this, and they discovered what the recording system, everything being recorded, now kept, you know, almost, uh, not like a overwatch on it, but almost an accountability to the discussions, do you think they kept that system, or do you think they were, the next president was like, nope, uh uh-uh, change it back to the old one?
0: I think they do, but it seems like we would have so many more, I mean we would have clinton getting a blowy in the oval office on tape but did that ever that that's, wasn't something that's what that i'm ever saying like
1: how does is it the choice of the president because like you said yeah. this was done in this situation with nixon because he was an alcoholic and he wasn't they you know he wasn't reliable enough to know when to go ahead and click that thing to start the recording
0: now it has to be selective
1: it, it's got to be because you would have so much like you just said you would have times when things would be getting subpoenaed and I doubt that executive privilege shit's going to go ahead and shake out in a lot of situations. So it's got to, yeah, it's got to be like, I just don't see it. How do you sell that? That's got to be a hard sell, especially if Congress had any say that be like, yeah, we know you caught the last guy doing shady shit because of this, you know, recording system, but I'm not going to do shady yeah. shit. So I'm going to go back to the old one. Is that I, good?
0: I promise I'm a man of integrity yeah. that you don't have to worry about this stuff. And, This goes with, we've reached basically the whole story of Watergate, and I would say that this isn't a conspiracy, but the conspiracies about Watergate and the things that they did are just absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah, so 100%, the Watergate stuff that we discussed, I'm not saying that the dates are exactly correct, or that we didn't either provide a little bit, we missed a tiny detail or something like that, but this is all substantiated proven facts. Stuff that's come out not just, you know, at that time, but stuff that's also been, you know, discovered, like, leading up to now. But some of the, yeah, I do like... Two of the conspiracies kind of stand out for me. One of them, we were talking about the Martha Mitchell one. Yeah, That one sounds very, very believable.
0: Yeah, she was... Her husband was, what was was
1: he? It was John Mitchell. Yeah,
0: what was his title at the time?
1: Okay, so he was, at the time Watergate got planned, he was the one that was the Attorney General. Okay. Okay? At the time that Watergate, that was when he approved the plan. When it was carried out and all of a sudden all of the people started getting connected... He had moved from attorney general and was now the campaign manager for Nixon's re-election campaign. So he had moved
0: out of an official capacity and into... C- correct, out of a government, yeah, out of a government
1: position. And I don't know if he did that because he maybe saw writing on the wall and realized that he needed to break those, I don't know. Well,
0: then you can probably make more money and be a lot less on the hook for things. Oh, yeah, the, definitely. The Election committee. So
1: his wife, Martha, knows James McCord.
0: She's it, a gabber.
1: Yes, she likes. She's been, She been. was known to go ahead and because of her husband's positions, she was almost like, they kind of said like a, almost a regular on like a
0: local talk show circuit. Like variety hours. She would call in. She was a southern woman that had... We've got Martha on the
1: line. Martha, let's hear your opinion.
0: Yeah, she's just yeah. a, a wild broad. She would always... There was nothing that she kept in her mouth. Yeah. Everything came out.
1: So she knows James McCord. And after seeing that he was involved, it was... V- Widely believed that she would talk to the media. So, and this was very quickly after the names got released. So, right after the Watergate incident, when they were arrested and everything like that, uh, John Mitchell had his guards, well, she already heard, she had a guard, you know, probably on her at all times, uh, but working for, of course, her husband, um, basically kidnap her and hold her in. It was the Watergate Hotel.
0: Was it the Watergate? It was the
1: Watergate Hotel. Because...
0: The unofficial story was she hears it, she runs to the phone to go over and call somebody and say, Hey, I know these people. She was talking, she was, she didn't run over to do it. It was that she had heard the name.
1: She didn't, I don't know if she let on that she knew what was going on. Because the security guard with her, she was calling and talking to one of her friends in the media. And the security guard overheard her say something in regards to McCord or something along those lines. And he ran and ripped the phone out of the wall. And at that point, that was the acknowledgement that she had known. So they had to go ahead and keep her silent. So what I read was that they had kept her for a week at the Watergate Hotel under guard. And she tried to escape. tried to escape multiple times. Uh, she fell through a window one time and sliced her wrist. And so they had to get her stitches. Yeah. So they sedated. They had someone come in, sedate her, and because they couldn't take her to a hospital. Yeah. So they sedated her, and I think what they did is they sedated her. I don't know if they had, like, a personal physician stitch her up. And then I want to say at the same time that they sedated her, that's when they transported her from D.C. to, like... like a country club or something like somewhere that. Somewhere in the south. It, New, York, New York. Oh, was it New York? It was New York, okay. because the next time someone reported seeing her, it was a reporter friend of hers had found that she was in New York. And she was The in, state, somewhere in the state. She was just beat
0: to shit. Yeah, too, she
1: looked she? like she'd just been beaten to shit, and of course she's got a cut that's all stitched yeah. up and everything. Um. So, yeah, she's got signs of abuse, and basically the timing of it, like... And, and she even came out and said, she said, I'm, you know, leaving my husband and while he's wrapped up in all of this stuff. And she, this is her testimony of saying what happened. This is her basically saying I was kidnapped for a week. I was beaten. And then. Well, all of, well all of this, you know, all of Watergate was going down.
0: Yeah, she basically came out and said that she loves her husband very much, but she can't be with it anymore. And that led to him stepping down from the reelection campaign Mm -hmm. and, of course, saying, my family is more important than this. I need to to make sure that they're 100% and everything's good there, which didn't stop. I mean, after you abduct your own wife and she gets the shit kicked out of her and has to get cut up and then they roofie her and take her to a country club, Writing's probably on the wall at that point. That's that's a done relationship.
1: Well yeah, and the thing is is no one believed her at the time. The only reason it's believable now is because, you know, at the time she's saying all this, Watergate is still going on, so there's no concrete evidence that any of this is even real. After, you know, everything gets exposed and you kinda of find out all the players that were in the game. I think at that point, I'm I'm not sure if something came out on the tapes or something was discovered referring to her situation. Yeah but it's been, you know, widely understood now that she was telling the truth.
0: Well, she was even institutionalized and yeah. they have uh, what was her name, Martha Mitchell? Yes. It's called the Martha Mitchell effect where somebody's institutionalized and they keep telling their story mm-hmm. but there's nothing else to back it up so yep. nobody believes her. Mm-hmm. So that's an actual like a psychiatric term that yep. they use now just based on her. So there is some merit there where how far it went We don't really know, but something definitely happened that was fishy. Please tell me you have my favorite one.
1: The airplane one? Yes. I have some information, but we're actually going to have to go pretty much off memory on it.
0: Okay, I think I can do it. Okay.
1: So, on a scale of, I believe it, to bullshit, where do you think the Martha Mitchell falls in? If that's a a 10, 1 through 10, 10 being most believable.
0: I would probably say a six, just because it would be nice to see something concrete, but at the same time, it's not above anything that they were talking about that they had done before. Yeah. It, the way that some of these people did things, it was just absolutely amazing with talking about, uh, there was one time where they sent aides through the hotel that the Democratic uh, people were staying in. Oh, and they steal s- their shoes. Yeah, they stole they like, their shoes. Oh, there's always been hazing. Yeah. yeah. And just doing weird things that Kidnapping seems odd, but also breaking into a building and planting bugs seems like something pretty serious.
1: I'll say, you know what, I'm going to go, I think, eight. Eight? Yeah. 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 And the only reason I say that is because just the connections that were there. It was her, her husband was involved in Watergate, the timing matched up exactly. Um, The only reason I don't go higher than an eight is because if she was that known to go around and just like gab and talk and everything like that. Yeah. What's to say she didn't embellish the story to go ahead and have a better story, essentially. So but I, I do think it's very believable. Um okay, yes. The the Chicago airline incident yep. conspiracy Un- on this.
0: United Airlines flight five six or five five three Ended up crashing in Chicago. They were coming from...
1: D.C., uh, I think.
0: Was it D.C. to Chicago? It it was,
1: yeah. I want to say it was... No, and they weren't even... They were going to, like, Omaha by way of Chicago.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So, okay. So... You're going to have to... Yeah, go ahead, because you're... I think you've got this one. uh,
0: This one's by far and away. I I don't want to spoil my rating on this, but I feel like this has something to it. So... Flights getting ready to land at Midland in chicago they are coming in over a south chicago neighborhood and they start to experience a little bit of turbulence and realize that the pilot has taken them in too low and the plane's engines start clipping trees they ended up crashing in a small neighborhood in south chicago before midland airport i think they got close but not nearly close enough no And traditionally, when a plane crash happens, the first people that are there to investigate is the National Transport. Aside from, like, local fire department and stuff like that. NTSB is the... The first
1: government entities, like, the
0: actual, like... Correct, yeah. yeah. So... NTSB somehow isn't the first people to show up. The first people to show up are the CIA.
1: Was it within, they said, 45 minutes?
0: Yeah, okay. and the, the closest CIA office to the crash was 13 miles away. So in a way, they probably could have been the first ones there. <laughs> but
1: there was like 80, they said like 80 agents. Yeah, a, a it, lot it, of yes, them You're that. not going to go ahead and have everybody drop it. And not everyone's going to just be 13 miles away. Yep. You're not going to get that many people. So
0: There were some survivors of the crash. Mm-hmm. They've gotten their way out. Um, the CIA officers were already there. They were already interviewing everybody, taking down statements, trying to figure everything that was going on. NTSB shows up. CIA says, yo, we got this. Mm-hmm. We'll handle this for now. And inside the wreckage, they found, um, Howard Hunt's wife, who was Dorothy Hunt. She had died on the plane And in her possession, when they found her purse, they found $10,000 in cash Mm -hmm. in her purse. And it was sort of believed that while Howard Hunt was incarcerated for his crimes, there still had to be a flow of money to everybody else that was still in prison. Mm -hmm. So she was somebody that they looked at as a potential go-between, where Hunt was making sure that she got the money, making sure that Dorothy got the money, and then Dorothy was distributing it out to everybody. Um. So they think that there was a chance that there might have been some foul play going on. And going through that even deeper, there was a CBS reporter that was on the plane that went down as well that also died. And some of the people that lived through it, some of the people at the previous gate before they took off, had said that her and Dorothy were having conversations on the jetway to walk down into the plane. So whether that means she was spilling, she was turning over, it was anything that it she was doing could with have, the Could have
1: technically been a reporter that had recognized her and was trying to get information from her, being like, oh, hey, you're so-and-so, because she wasn't, like, at that point, she wasn't widely known.
0: No, she, I'm sure she would get seen just because there were probably pictures on the news of her and her husband out as his trial was going on and that kind of thing. Yeah. So she was... She wasn't famous, famous, but somebody probably would recognize her. And a reporter, is somebody's looking into correct, her. Correct, yes. Absolutely sees her.
1: So my, my favorite part of this is the pilot scenario. Yeah. So all of the flight crew died. I've been, I'm going to mess up. I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to mess up the casualties. I'm going to try to ballpark. It was something like 18 people survived. It and was a good chunk, and 40 died.
0: And I think there were 54 on the plane, and it killed some people that were on the ground below. Like two below. to four.
1: Like only two to four people on the and ground a yes, And a
0: golden retriever, I guess. Yes, and a golden retriever. Or a German s- Shepherd.
1: Yes, it was one of that. So they end up recovering the pilots, and as part of... it was um, The crash was chalked up to pilot error coming in too low. Um, this guy was a, like a heavily seasoned yeah. pilot with like, they said, I, I'm going to probably lowball it here, but I want to say like 80,000 hours of flight time. And he'd specialized in the seven thirty seven. It was a seven thirty seven, Right. Yeah. Yeah. He'd specialized in that plane. So they had tested the flight crew. So you have two pilots. And then I think at that point you had a third one. I'm not sure if you saw the third on a plane now, but you had your pilot and your co-pilot and a third person in the cockpit. They did a toxicology on him and found out that the um, main pilot, this guy that had all this experience, had a dose, a blood level of four times the legal amount of... Arsenic. It was arsenic in his system. So, and the other two guys in the cockpit, none. I don't know if it was none, but it was a non-lethal amount of arsenic. So... What they came up with, what the you know CIA, whoever was investigating it, their reasoning for that was, oh, you know, when plastics of a certain type burn and are inhaled, that will put arsenic, you know, it'll produce arsenic, arsenic will get into your body, it'll kill you. Well, how does that work when the other two people are in the cockpit, breathing in the same air, and it's four times the amount that will kill you, which means that you will be dead after one times the amount, and you will no longer be breathing in the other, the other air to get that up to four times of well, the amount.
0: Potentially, you could say that it may have been just one large breath that he took in, and he just took in so much more past the lethality amount. But it's the, a very the weird... The studies on that have said to try to get to that amount, and what was so crazy is they were saying it was so
1: close to four times the amount... Like, why would it be so close to that? Yeah. Why wouldn't it be... They were saying it that... It would have had to have been a measured... Correct. They said something ingestible, something injectable.
0: Um, the other two things about the black boxes. Yeah. The black, black boxes is incredible. There was two of them, right? Yep. One in the front, one in the back of the plane. Standard issue for everybody else. You can't break into them. They're the flight logs and the recordings for everything. And how, how long did it take them to find them? It was like Two days. No, it was longer than that, man. I want to say 17 days. That it took for them to find the black boxes? Yeah,
1: they were missing because they were looking for those. um, Regardless if it was 2 or 17, honestly. let's
0: let's take a piss break and see what it is, and then we'll come back to it.
1: Okay. All right, well, that felt good.
0: Yeah, it did. We needed that.
1: Okay, so, uh, quick correction. So, Adam's right. Two days. They were missing for two days. So once they did turn up, they had determined that they, they said they looked relatively undamaged, mm-hmm. but that due to like a technical issue, the 14, min, uh, 14 minutes leading up to the crash were missing on both of them.
0: Which feels like that's the most important time, right?
1: It, you would think after in, in a situation like this, you would think you would want to find out, you know, what occurred closer to the plane yeah. going down than, than further away. Yeah.
0: And the thing that kind of puts it to a point to me that seems like there was a little bit more at play was the head of the NTSB board at that time was a member of Nixon's cabinet. He had put people, at one
1: point he had gone ahead and branched out to put people in charge of every like department that had the ability to investigate him. Or it had ties to Watergate, yeah. didn't he? He kind yeah, of spread he, out and put his leadership in charge.
0: He made sure that there were people in the room that had his mm-hmm. best interests at heart. And of course, once it gets turned over to NTSB from the CIA, and they say, "Hey, we've we've done our due diligence. We've looked. There's nothing here." Then the guy that was a Nixon guy mm-hmm. comes out and says, "Yeah, we concur. There's nothing crazy." Hey, we got this report. What happened on you know the flight and everything? He's like, "I'll take it. Yeah, it'll
1: it'll it's gonna get where it needs to go. Don't worry about it. I got it from here."
0: It this one for me, it's a nine. It's, a nine. It, it's there's the, some, some crazy things that could have happened and there's some other factors. There was a, a weird like first plan that the guy didn't know about that was supposed to to offer, but she is somebody who would present a pretty big issue. she's the one that's handling the money correct. and she's the one that's getting it there, she's so, a big fish.
1: So like we were just saying, so the Martha Mitchell thing, she wasn't even involved in this. And they were that worried about her to kidnap her. And because she, you know, was obviously going to talk to the media, according to her report. Yeah. This woman is actually involved in it. And the Martha Mitchell thing had happened just right around this time. It was before this. So they already saw what happened with one loose end and what they had to do to tie that up. Imagine if someone actually had information, not just a, oh, I know that McCord guy. I've seen him before. Someone that's actually involved in the transfer of money payoffs it's crazy to think you know i part of me doesn't want to believe that it's likely that this happened because that would mean someone had to go and make the determination that all these other people needed to die had no idea how many people probably had a guesstimate of how many people were going to die on the ground to go ahead and cover their asses that that to me is horrible enough to make me be like okay conspiracy on this one i want to make it like a two or three but after looking into all the other stuff, seeing what politicians have done since then, and just what people will do to stay in power, it is, it's up there again, like I don't want to repeat and say eight, but like, yeah, with everything that kind of lined up, it they want to say, oh, it was just a coincidence and everything. I'm like, at a certain point when there's all of these moving pieces, it's real tough for me to believe in
0: coincidence. A lot of coincidences happening. And hey, the... The knock against the Mitchell thing was she was a very boisterous person oh, wow. and would say a lot of things to grab attention yeah. and do all that, which it's not on her she she had a pulpit people would listen mm-hmm. but Hunt's wife did not have any of that. She was somebody on the ground that had her hands, her skin in the game, and she was probably trying to figure out how to get out of it because she knows that her husband's in jail right now too, correct, and you know, looking at it like you were saying from the perspective of talking to that reporter. Maybe she didn't
1: know the reporter, but maybe she did. And they were going on a flight to because that afforded some level of maybe privacy. There could yeah. be certain passengers on a flight to overhear things. Of course, she would still be having to do her job if she was supposed to be faring money. But at the same time, you know, with all of the information that the government had on all these people movements, if she was talking to the media, she may have thought she was being sneaky but she could have been found out and the, they could have known for a while that she was doing this. Yeah. The, this kind of makes me want to backtrack just a little bit to the deep throat thing. One of the things that I thought was awesome. It sounds ridiculous, but you then really think about it was how Woodward would, and him would meet up. Oh yeah. The flower pods. Yes. Because of the, no one was going to go ahead and provide this information in writing, or over the phone, or anything like that. So when, um, deep throat, what's his name again? I'm looking back to see Uh, what his first name was. William, okay, so when William Felt wanted to, um, meet, no, it was initiated by Woodward. Yeah. Woodward would set a pink flower pot out on his back stoop. With a red flag in it. With a red flag in it and leave it out there and at some point either a contact of Feltz or Felt himself would see that and he would then make Woodward take I think like four cabs go to a location, get out, go get in another cab, take well, this cab to this location.
0: The way that Woodward knew that it was on from Felt from Deep Throat was he would go into Woodward got the paper every day and Felt would go in and find his copy of the paper Mm -hmm. and he would scribble out like a general like a time in an area Mm -hmm. but kind of make it a little bit funky to see so woodward would put the pot out felt would see it felt would scribble in the address to where they wanted to meet and the time and it would usually be like you say he would be traversing going through cabs a lot of anti uh tail movement so he couldn't be seen And a lot of the times they would meet in, like, a shadowy parking garage. There was one that was, like, the most well-known. So, yeah, so they had
1: it down to where he would have to be traveling between these to try to lose a tail if he had one. Again, this guy's the deputy director of the FBI, so he knows what government agents are capable of. So if he's telling you to do something, there's obviously a reason to go ahead and do it to stay secretive. Um, But they would meet in a parking garage. It was, I'm trying to remember, it was in, like, Arlington They should have met in a psychiatrist's office. There's a plaque on the parking garage now. or sign Acknowledging that it was the meeting place. Yeah, I saw that. I thought that was a cool fact. So, yeah, then they would meet in person here. And the big thing, too, was, and this is to credit of Bob Woodward, I think, is that he wasn't giving a lot of, like, direct information. He was just telling them certain little bits of information to kind of lead them where to go. He'd be like, hey, just letting you guys know. He would almost give them um, instructions on if they were going... In the right way. Yeah. So one of the things he told me, he told them that even though the Washington Post was really the only one that was running any stories on Watergate, he's like, everybody at the White House is very concerned about Watergate. So that was like confirmation, yes, there is something to this. You're onto something.
0: Everybody's Uh, pissing down their leg. There's probably more. Correct. He...
1: Isn't and he's the one that also, like I think you said earlier, he's the one that said to look into Hunt. Yep. He's like, maybe take a look into this guy.
0: Yeah, and it was all he gave him was a name and then a phone number that didn't go anywhere. Correct. So he decided to call the White House. It was just these little tidbits that Woodward and Bernstein is two guys that were just out there two reporters, mm-hmm. they did all this legwork and they definitely couldn't have done it without uh Felt's, Guidance, oh, but no. it wasn't like he was walking him through it. No,
1: definitely not. I mean, he's not. That's probably why also that he's not as well known in this.
0: Well, but it was. I want to say it was the two thousands. It was like two thousand five or six that he was finally released. So this all happens in the seventies, yeah. and then his name finally comes out in the two thousands. Correct. Imagine
1: like we were talking about having a great story. Imagine sitting on that. Ugh. You retire and everything <laughs> like that, and. You just have to sit there and listen to people tell you stories and everything, and you're just, mm, I can't tell you. I can't tell you.
0: He's the one up on the security yeah. guard. They're sitting in the bar watching it, and the guy's like, yeah, you know what? I was the one that found the uh, found the tape on the door. It's like, oh, you're the one that found the tape on the door? Exactly. And guess what? What I are got a the
1: <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, just, it's it's crazy all the things that went into this, and...
0: Well, just to boil it back down, like we said earlier... A piece of tape was the undoing mm-hmm. of a presidency, a, a political career that spanned from forever. What we're talking forty-seven as a House member to seventy-four as a, president.
1: Li- a life, yes, a lifetime politician, and you're brought down because one of the guys thought that putting a second round of tape was the best idea. Didn't didn't speak up. I would. have... Yeah, you just want to look at that and say, like, hey, maybe we just leave the building this time.
0: Yeah, but, maybe, hey, let's try it next week. Mm-hmm. Let's try it tomorrow. Let's not do this. And that's the thing. One guy,
1: one, one guy who forgot the tape, the other guy got distracted watching <laughs> Super
0: super Babes from Blarnoth 7, or whatever it was. There's so many other ways to go. And I, I'm not, as not a career criminal, this is my thought. When Nixon finds out that they know about the tapes, is it going to be worse on you if you just smash them? Oh yeah. But yeah. Then the words that you said don't go out. and You can say you can make a, it's like the Brady it's, Brady it's, gate. It's, it's
1: that's the other thing. It's guilt by action. It's, it's instant guilt by
0: action. This was the gates though. This was the first gate, the gate to spawn all the gates. This is where we get spy gate from, slay yes. gate from all this other yes. stuff. This was the first gate. Gate is just
1: added to everything because of this.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Brady got away with smashing
1: cell phones, and that was okay. Think of people in higher positions of power are
0: looking into Nixon than we looking into. Tom do you Brady. think it was more? Yeah. yeah. It just there were so many things that they could have done. It, like we say, just don't do it that day. Just figure out a better plan. Mm-hmm. If the crux of your break-in plan to do something this serious involves masking tape over a door or duct tape over a door maybe let's go with a better plan. Maybe some let's try your key chapstick radios. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of we, tear gas pellets. We have chapstick radios. You're telling me that we couldn't run into the janitor and like steal his ring of keys mm-hmm. and make a copy and get in that way. Like We're just relying on tape. Yeah, It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. You just, you got to wonder, you know, this goes two ways. Like what would happen if he didn't get caught? Just imagine this still went off and like one person didn't talk or the piece of tape, you know, they leave or something like that. Um, no well,
0: it, what would it have mattered had they been successful? Well, here's the other they thing. They still would have won.
1: Exactly. But, you know, then he gets to serve a second term. Or does this thing just come out later? And when somebody finally makes that confession on their deathbed about, like, I took part in this, we used to bug this, then it's all for nothing.
0: Yeah. I mean, he Nixon ended up living a, a fair amount of time after that. He didn't die till 1994, mm-hmm. so he was... Still doing interviews after he left the the movie that we had talked about the major motion picture that they had made Frost Nixon yeah was an excellent movie if you're looking for something to see and you're interested on this topic because it was a a very legitimate interview that David Frost did that I mean he
1: it, he went his he never admitted guilt in this no he. he he maintained his innocence up till the the time that he died.
0: He played just the tip with it. He would say, "Did I do things that I don't or that I'm not proud of?" Oh, yeah. Yes, but he'd never say that he was the trigger man. And you know, you look back at this, and one thought I had was, "How did you expect this to work with so many people?" Yeah. Huh? There's a lot of moving parts here. There's a lot of people. You got to get the hush money out Mm -hmm. there. You have to do everything else. Not just that, but I mean,
1: you need like okay. I get maybe five guys because you took five guys the previous time and it worked, so you don't know any better. But so you got the five guys that are breaking in. You got the lookouts. You got the guys in the cabinet that know about this. And then you're gonna go ahead and expect. I would love to be a fly on the wall to know what they offered, the guys. To go ahead and maintain quiet, you know, maintain being quiet.
0: Well, and their price just kept going up.
1: Oh yeah, they kept saying we need more. And at what point? At what point are you in prison? You know, two years out of a twenty-year sentence. Are you like, I'm either not going to survive in here, or by the time I get out of here, what's, what's to guarantee that the money that they promised me is going to be waiting for me?
0: Yeah, I I got a roommate that wants to play mom and Mm dad in our. A room here. Hey, um, hey,
1: can uh pen and paper please? I need to write the judge
0: a letter. Well yeah, not to mention these are a bunch of Cuban guys and we talked about the 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 idea that they were used kind of specifically because Mm -hmm. of the anti sentiment. Those guys in prison are gonna do well. No. Depending on who they're in prison with Mm -hmm. and who knows what, but they're probably gonna be looked upon. They don't have the same color skin. Yeah, it's
1: it you know it's no wonder it failed. Yeah. When you really look at all of the all of the pieces put together, I'm just surprised. The biggest thing for me is I'm surprised how long it took to all implode, that there were these you know large gaps of time between like really nothing happening while it was still just very quietly being investigated.
0: Yeah, we had an election, an election that he won. We we went through all these different Correct. processes and everything else, and that. Like we were talking about trying to get our timeline straight, that I'm not a crook speech in November of '73 to him resigning in August of '74. Mm-hmm. That's a long window of time, That's almost a year. It's, and and then you look at the
1: the contrast now between what is covered so heavily in the news, like little things, like what are they wearing?
0: The 24-hour news cycle that just never stops. I know. I know. Yeah, I I think had it been this day and age, I don't know with people pushing back against the press and saying what they're what their writing is not true, how long it would have gone, but I feel like it would have probably been buttoned up a little bit faster. Now yeah, no
1: kidding. Is. All right, guys. Well, that's going to be it on us covering Watergate. Um, if you like what you hear, you know, tune in, listen to our previous episode, and
0: uh, listen to all future episodes. Got anything? Uh, just thank you. Thank you for listening. Stick with us. We're new to this. I hope that you're enjoying it, but we're just going to get better, and it's going to get deeper. We're going to get into a lot more crazy stuff. This is crazy. We're borderline bottom on this. We're going to be getting into some very fun topics.
1: All right, guys. Stay tuned. All right, guys. Thanks, again for listening. Um, Yeah, hey, episode five. That's actually kind of a... It's a big deal if you've been here already for five episodes and you've listened to them all, or if you've just listened to this one. You know what? Thanks just for listening at all. Um, if you do like what you're hearing, you do want to follow us. Our uh, social media handles are on Twitter. We're at historically high, high being H I on Twitter, and then on Instagram, uh, historically high pod. So historically H I G H P O D. And uh, we'll usually put, throw up some memes about upcoming topics and kind of let you guys figure out what we're going to be talking about. Also, you can just get a hold of us on there, too, if you want to drop us a DM or, or send us a message. Um, you can also email us any questions you guys might have, suggestions for upcoming topics, and uh, we'll see what we can do for you. It's going to be at historicallyhighpodcast at gmail.com. Again. For those of you that are listening, you know, this is just something fun that we're doing. We really enjoy doing it, and so we hope that we find some people. It doesn't even have to be a lot of people that uh, enjoy listening to us BS. And again, we're looking for your feedback. If you have anything that you want to hear us discuss, hit us up. Later.